Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome everybody. How are you doing? We we are here for another episode of Coco Talk, episode 134, holiday preview edition. We've got the holidays coming up. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm David Ladd. Why, thank you, sir. Oh, I am excited too. Is everybody else? Is everybody else? Yes, David. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right, that's enough, David. As bad uh, as that. All right, we're going to simmer down now and get serious. Um... So how's the panel doing? Everybody uh, having a good time here? Uh, I wanted to welcome those in the live chat. We've got Jim Bray from Retro Innovation says, This show is a test. If it were a real show, there would be actual information disseminated. And thank you for adding your thoughts, uh, Retro Innovations, and uh, keep us posted on those uh, products you're working on. Well, a picture is worth a thousand words. And look how many pictures there are. <laughs> yes, we got a full house. We want to thank Mark. Coco. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we, you know, we've got Coco thoughts and then we've got troll thoughts. <laughs> yes. I think we need a new segment uh, for yeah, troll thoughts. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we should have a collect them all up and we can just kind of scroll them all by and... That'd be kind of a fun segment. <laughs> It'd be like the the segment. Uh, what is it, uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, or uh, uh, on the Tonight Show where they read mean tweets? Yeah, and we we could do dramatic readings of Jim Brain's thoughts. <laughs> oh, that would be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim Brain was also up all last night uh, working on those products he promised us, no doubt, and he needs a cure for his insomnia, so that's why he's here. Uh, Mark B is in the live chat. L. Curtis Boyle says you should be asleep in about five minutes. So it's, a, it's a lot of retro innovations 
trolling in the chat. Dave's Hobbies. Let's get the party going. Let's get up and running. Oh, yeah, baby. Terry Steen. Can Ken make it? We've never answered that question. Um, and we're probably not going to answer it today. But he says Australia isn't real. And Facebook told him this. As we know, Facebook News, the biggest oxymoron. Uh, I have the rum handy. Dave's hobby. Okay, lots of talk in the chat, so join in. Paul Fiscarelli says, yo. Ben uh, Drake's Explore VR is in the chat room as well, our favorite person who's been hooking up all the Coca games to VR. That's right. The the youngster in the community, I believe he's, uh, what is he, 36, 39? He's the baby in the family. Sub 40. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we are, we are um, talking about turkeys, going to be eating turkeys, um, going to be... Well, in the uh, States, you will be. We already did our Thanksgiving. Yeah, you guys are, we're like way ahead of the curve here. Okay, You're you welcome can- to eat twice. All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of us are turkeys. <laughs> when, well, when's Thanksgiving in Australia? Uh, we don't have it. We don't have a, th- a Thanksgiving. Well, adopt ours. <laughs> or Canada did. Year, adopt Canada's. I guess because there are no turkeys in Australia, maybe. <laughs> well, there is no Australia. We have oh, plenty right. out, Sorry, out no Australia. Highway. What are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. We have plenty in Tom C's area. Is Tom C on? I don't see him. No. Yeah, if you check that story that was posted on Facebook, uh, Australia doesn't really exist. And uh, no wonder the they don't have are, turkeys. And all the Australians are uh, paid off. Paid actors. Yeah, paid actors. That's right, Nick Morantes. The jig is up. You can lose that, that silly accent now. <laughs> Jason, are you parked in an alley? No, I'm not in an alley. No, then it's, it's definitely not dark daytime. But he wears hey. his sunglasses yes. at night. Hey, I want to go on the record officially here and say I posted that because we have so many Australians that, you know, are into the cocoa and that watch the show and watch cocoa in general, not just picking on Nick Marentis. So, <laughs> Sure, Mark, sure. There's plenty, there's plenty of other Australians to pick on, too, but I don't think any of them are on the panel today, are they? No. No. Yeah. no. Well, you're it's probably go around the panel. Speaking of the panel, mm-hmm. yeah, it's time to go around the panel. And I was thinking you could you could tell us maybe kind of what the Coco or other retro systems meant to you over the holiday season. For example, uh, did you go over to to Aunt Jane and Uncle Jim's house and they had an Intellivision? Uh, did you did you have your cousins over and they were wondering, well, what's what's that color computer? Uh, do uh, you know what kind of games can it play? And did you bond over that? Uh, what's your kind of holiday memories for the color computer? And maybe kind of take us through that as we go around the panel, and also tell us uh, maybe what you're up to. Uh, let's uh, let's start with the man, the executive producer, the uh, guy who has a garage, uh, <laughs> and he's become very famous in the community. <laughs> he's not French, but he uh, kisses that way. Uh, <laughs> could be. <laughs> Rondello. Only, only my hairdresser knows for sure. <laughs> How are you doing, Ron? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How's my uh, neighbor here in Arizona? <laughs> it's good. I'm waving to you right now. <laughs> hey, bud. By the way, clean up the backyard. Come on, it's getting yeah, on. Yeah, really. 
Well, we do have a dog, so. <laughs> anyway, um, so <clears throat> I can remember holidays. I used to have my cocoa out in the dining room, and uh, we'd have family over. And it would be for, like, a birthday or something, or if it's uh, for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's like, keep the mashed potatoes off of my computer, okay? <laughs> and uh, none of the kids with their goopy hands would uh, go near it. I would stay close to it, get, get them back, get them back. You know, they, they always get a hand up there wanting to touch the keyboard. But uh, basically, uh, we've always had a color computer up in our home ever since they came out, ever since I had one. And um, it's pretty much been a fixture in the house. I think even the um, nephews and nieces know that, uh, you know, I had the computers and stuff. And the, now they can probably teach me stuff about their um Mac or PC because you know they've they have the latest stuff and all that stuff and here I'm sitting here with an old uh, dual core ugly machine you know from back eight years ago but anyway uh, Coco's always been in the family um, I even have a brother-in-law that's got one again and uh, um, yeah, it's always been fun for me and why did you have it on the on the uh, kitchen table? Did you have it was a uh, dining dining room? We had space. I had a desk, and it was sitting on there with the TV. And um, you know, actually, some of the time I would have my uh, DS sixty nine running, and I would take pictures of the family and stuff, and then print out a picture of them, and they thought it was really cool. Except for everybody couldn't get one because I couldn't print them out fast enough. <laughs> took took an hour for one. One picture of one kid, you know? <laughs> so that's me. You guys go ahead. Yeah, well, Mark B is here, occasional streamer and uh, collector of, of products. Mark, you're always wearing your Radio Shack T-shirt with pride. What did what did hap- What is your holiday experience like? Heck, if I can remember. <laughs> 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 uh, I didn't, didn't get uh, in the computers until uh, you know after I moved out on my own. Oh yeah, pretty much so. So that's interesting because I, I had a photographer friend of mine, and uh, he really didn't get into computers at all until you know they became more associated with his job. So not even into the night, you know, in, into the nineties when PCs became big. So. Um, even though he's in his 60s, um, he never, you know, went through that or had any interest in computers. So, you know, it certainly, at some point, it crossed that threshold where you had to get a computer um, to get your job done. And then eventually, now you kind of need a computer or a phone to stay in touch with people, um, you know, on social media and, and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, but if you think of any other... Um, Memories, even as an adult, just jump in. I uh, would be curious to hear that. Um, yeah, next, I didn't get the my first cocoa until I was actually working for Radio Shack. Oh well, that well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Did you have any other Radio Shack uh, uh, computers or Tandy One Thousands or? No, just uh, um, just uh, cocos actually. Um, got one of those little pocket computers things but uh when did you start uh, working for radio shack 
Um, what year? Eighty. Uh, Try to say eighty, eighty-five, eighty-four. Okay. 84. So, so uh, you were, you know, in thick of it in terms of the color computer. Mm-hmm. And do you do you remember when the Coco Three came out? Was that a big deal at your particular store? Uh. Uh, I worked at a store really just over Christmas, I think '84, and then after that I worked at the uh, service center. So I wasn't in the retail side of it. Okay. Well, we'll come back if you think of any um, holiday stories or anything uh, you want to preview for this season, holiday season, and Thanksgiving, Christmas. Uh, we'll revisit this topic. Mark D. Overholzer, six five zero two expert. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot. I know more than most people do, probably. The, the, yes, our our expert. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, probably. He, you've last seen him at VCF West. Um, what is your uh, what are your latest project? Anything you want to tell us? And and how are the holidays in terms of retro computers? Of course, they were just com- called computers back then. Um, how was that mm-hmm. for you? And do you have any memories? You know, offhand, no, not really. And I didn't get into the Coco until 2012, so I'm new to the Coco area. I had Commodore 64, SX64, which is portable, and, and uh, Apple IIe. Um, so uh, um, yeah, I can't really think of any holiday memories. I mean, I got, I got my first, uh, first big computer, basically the floppy disk, in November of uh, 20, uh, 1983. So I'm sure I had a good Christmas stuff. I just don't remember anything particular. It's real exciting. So <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, retro projects, but nothing to mention at this time. Okay. Well, next, a man who needs almost no introduction, but we'll try anyway. Recipient of the Canadian Coco Medal of Honor. I first Take initial- it away, Bruce. <laughs> first initial. Thank you. Thank you it, very much. First initial Thank L, which is he was named after Leisure Suit Larry. L. Curtis Boyle. How are you doing? Not too bad. I left my gold chains in the other room, though. Oh, yeah? <laughs> we we pronounce, it, pronounce it leisure here in Canada, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Leisurely. Yes. Leisurely suit Larry, yeah. You did copy uh, Larry's mullet, though, for a little while there. I did for a bit, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've seen some photos of you early on in the in the early 80s with your Coco One. Um, yeah. And uh, was, was, was there anything associated with... With Co- if you were like me, you were always begging your parents for, for new stuff uh, all through the year. Um, but there, was there any particular memory that stands out during the holidays? Uh, yeah, the very first year, the first Christmas after I got the Coco, because I got a Coco 104K in, would have been September of 81. And I couldn't afford anything after I bought the computer for quite a while, because I had to borrow money from mom and dad to, to get that as it was. So at, at Christmas, they gave me a cassette deck and a pair of the Black Beauty joysticks, so... That was uh, pretty pretty major for me. As then I went out and I bought a couple of cartridges. I think skiing and Project Nebula, the fall, you know after Christmas. So I actually had some games. And then in later years, I had a couple cousins and, and nephews and nieces that also had Cocos or got into computer gaming. So sometimes at Christmas, the uh, adults would stay upstairs and chat and do whatever, and the the kids would go downstairs and we had the my Coco on a, a fairly large you know wood panel TV type thing. So we we'd get a bunch of games going on. And uh, just uh, have a lot of fun with the kids, I guess. So that would be my Coco memories. As far as project updates go, um, 
Uh, we just did a patch to the 6809 version of Nitrous 9 right in the main kernel. Uh, patched some memory stack copying uh, routines for the 6809 specific. And this is one of the rare occasions we, uh, David and I, because David, thank you again for helping test and assemble it. Um, we find, we actually released this to the repository before it's going to be an EOU because EOU is still a work in progress because I'm you know, still working on G shell and a bunch of other things too. So um, that one actually got pushed last night. Should be in the nightly builds. And um, I think David said, you said you also emailed Tormod, so he's going to maybe do some patching for the uh, kernel for the Moo, the 512K board for the Cocoa 1 and 2. Yeah, I thought you were going to say this was a rare occasion where you and David agreed on something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's rare too. But yeah, um, those I'm going to try to get back to the Cocomem Junior later this year too uh, for Jim Brain. I'm going to try to do those same patches in that version of Nitrous Nine as well. So that's about all I've got for now. Okay. Well, we next we've got to, um, a man who works at Apple and knows a few things about Apple, John Lorry. Uh, how are you doing? What are you working on? And what are your holiday memories of uh, the computers in the 80s? Um, well, uh, I, I also worked for Radio Shack back in the 80s. Uh, started in 82. Uh, actually worked at a Radio Shack computer center. And uh, it had free access to pretty much everything Radio Shack sold in terms of computers. Um, and uh, I do remember when the Cocoa 3 came out, that was kind of a big deal. Because, uh, you know, it was a, a new Cocoa with new capabilities that, uh, you know, our beloved Cocoa Plus, you know, is basically what it was. And uh, uh, I worked for Radio Shack on two different stints, actually. Once in the in the early or early to mid-80s, like 82 to 85 or 86. And then again in the mid-90s. I, I also worked uh, for a couple of years for Radio Shack. Uh, no projects right now. I just got back from uh, picking up this little doodad here. It's a mm. um, it's a gimbal for a mobile phone. Uh, I turned in. I bought an iPhone 11 Pro the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, turned in my iPhone 10. Uh, and they said, "Oh, we're going to give you X amount of dollars." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I turned the phone in, and they're like, "Okay, well, here's part of it as a Apple gift card, and the rest will give you cash." So the amount that they gave me on the gift card was enough to to get this uh, this little puppy here. It's a gimbal. You put the phone on it, and then, you know, no matter how you move your hand around, it keeps the phone steady and stabilized. And it's got a bunch of doodads to it, and that's kind of what I've been playing with today. But uh, as far as Cocoa Projects have been concerned, I haven't really been doing much uh, lately. I just recently got back to work and uh, been concentrating on that. So... What kind of work you do now? I'm uh, still still work for Apple. I'm in the Apple Care division. Mm. I'm uh, a senior advisor in the uh, uh, Mac Plus Tier Two. Division. So you look you look for soft spots on the apples. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I press the cider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I do uh, troubleshooting on uh, uh, computers, uh, iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches. You would think they would give you one. Uh, they gave me two, actually. Oh, two good. Computers. Yeah. <laughs> cool. They belong to Apple, but I use them for work. Yeah. So, uh, but they've given me a, a good job. Uh, I really like working for Apple, and 
uh, it's it's a cool company to work for. I get you know paid well, good benefits, no uh, seeds, everything. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> seeds. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah. So just been basically concentrating on uh, getting back into the swing of things at work. I was off for two months. So you, believe it or not, you, you start to forget to do your job after two months. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I, really did. I was surprised how much I, I out of whack I was. You know, so my first week back was kind of like. Well, do you have a cubicle? Uh, well, I work from home. So I oh. Oh. basically where I'm sitting right now right is where there? I work from. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my living room, actually. I got my TV over there, and you know, kitchen's over there, bathroom's over there. So it's uh, it's real cool working from home, because uh, you know, you're home. There's no commute time to and from work, and uh, is the cocoa within reach? Uh, the cocoa, yeah, the cocoa right now is on the kitchen table because I don't have any room on the. <laughs> you know, I got the work computers and then my personal Mac are on the the main desk here, and uh, the cocos are set up on the kitchen table right now. I'm hoping to buy a house soon and then get a room dedicated to for everything for work. You know, my off my main office is going to be a big room that just pretty much everything. So you're going to have a house cave. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing will be a computer. One kinda big like, giant computer cave. Kind of like David O'Connor's house. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, <laughs> got a lot of equipment. Oh yeah, great. Well, I'm glad. Glad to hear your mom's doing good too, Ron. Oh, hey, thanks. Yep. Yep, she's better. Good. Good to hear. Thanks. Good to hear. Uh, speaking of music and equipment, Brian, the music man, how are you doing? I see, uh, what do we have, audio spectrum analyzer going on? Or what's in the background? Yep, that's uh, audio spectrum analyzer. Uh, am I coming through all right? You are? Yep. But right. uh, you sound less demonic today. Is there is there anything wrong? <laughs> oh, great! Now you just tempted. Here goes. How is that? <laughs> that's that's much much better. I think I've just um, gone to the bathroom. It's just like talking to David Ladd about floppy drives. You'll never see it to stop after that. So, <laughs> oh, I love the voice. Keep it up, Brian. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> How about that? Oh, that's that's a lot of fun. But I don't know if that works out or not. And just think, you don't have to waste the world's supply of helium to do that. Exactly. Yes, it's very eco-friendly. Yeah, Brian, you seem, I don't know you very well, but you seem like a guy who would have some holiday memories of the color computer. I don't know why. Uh, Let's see, I worked a couple years at Radio Shack uh, back in the 80s also. What, starting about 83, 84, I think. Um, assistant manager, sales, that sort of thing. And eventually ended up at a, uh, one near one of the computer centers and, uh, and whatnot in Highland Park, if anybody's familiar with Chicago area. <laughs> and uh, it was fun. Then I uh, moved on to better things than that. Um, otherwise, uh, for Christmas... Just messing around with too many different things, working on cars mostly, and that that was my big thing. Computers also a little bit, but uh, more with cars. What kind of cars do you hang with? Uh, well, I did a lot of uh, uh, private stuff, like uh, 
my own personal garage with uh, my dad, my stepdad, and that, and uh, called New Shoes Garage. What, Fords, Chevys, Chryslers, what do you... Uh, quite a few different things, including a Porsche that, God, I wish never showed up. It had this dang stupid Lucas ignition and electrical system. Ugh, hate those things. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes Lucas. <laughs> uh, exactly. No, just... I had a 65 Ford Galaxy 500 with the nice big block 390 in it. The one from up there in the uh, great north there, eh? <laughs> it was the uh, high-performance block uh, that uh, uh, Canada was uh, producing for their uh, power boxes. Well, that's like having a cocoa with a 2 meg in it. 65, uh, there was no computer. <laughs> but it would sure go. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't really get a whole lot into the computers back then and that, you know, I messed around with it. I had a Cocoa 2, you know, of course, Cocoa 3 and that, and, uh, just, just basically having fun, just doing, she's so many different things. Always ran ADOS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, always, I still got a whole bunch of discs that I probably should get moved over. Hey, Brian, uh, just out of curiosity, like when you got heavily into the synths, which is probably more the 90s, I think, uh, did you do some Christmas stuff then? Did you ever play like, you know, MIDI concerts or MIDI songs for Christmas for friends and family or anything? Actually, on occasion, I did, yeah. Um, And that, but those are just messing around whatnot. I think the first real synthesizer I had was I had gotten, where did I get that from? I think that was from Mike Carey. You know, I think you might remember him from way back when. He's from Prospect, Tennessee. He uh, rebuilt pianos, and he put the MIDI uh, bars underneath the keyboard so that it became a player piano. And that I haven't talked to him for quite a few years. I know he had he had brain surgery because he had a tumor in that. I'm not even certain if he's still alive in that, but he's kind of dropped out of existence Last time I talked to him was, I think, about maybe eight years ago. But uh, he was doing pretty good then, but he was kind of moving on to other things and such. Um, okay. He was there at uh, Cocoa Fest uh, in Elgin, 92, I think, 93. We had that whole big thing with me, Mike uh, Knudsen, uh, Mike Carey, and myself. We had that whole big thing uh, laid out up on the stage. It was at the Holiday Inn where the, um, on the south side of uh, 90 in Elgin. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Yep, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. And that, oh, that's, yeah. that's true. Curtis is always in the, the Cocoa Fest band. Uh, so we might, we might want to come back to that topic here uh, and talk about some performances that happened at uh, Christmas time. Uh, but speaking of... Uh, we were talking about cars. There's a man that's in a car right now, and he he's a guy that comes out with a lot of products, and they're named after Australian... Um, Non-existent places. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Australian birds, and I think... Uh, I, it's all fake. I think my soundboard doesn't work. Oh, yes, I think you, you've, got a, you've got a cop on your tail. Jason Riker, the Cocoa Man. How are you? Oh, not now... Uh, Sounds like your soundboard's coming through your mic. That's right. I'll let you know. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. 
I'm playing. I'm also hearing your voice through your mic, so just yes. you might wouldn't be aware of that. I, I, I um, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I got some low audio quality today. I'm using my car's Bluetooth, but anyway, uh, holiday memories. I guess the biggest Cocoa holiday memory for me is going to be that I, uh, in the you know, Christmas of 84 is when we got our Cocoa 2, our first computer, our first Cocoa, uh, which I've said many times before, I still have. I, I, I found it and uh, working getting it uh, writing again. Uh, you know, 16K color basic to the uh, the plain uh, black uh, non-deluxe joystick and I think like bust out in a, in a CCR 81 tape recorder is how, how it all started. You're not going to call them uh, black beauties uh i called him what i called him <laughs> um, he calls it like his and um <laughs> oh christmas you know, holidays around the cocoa i don't you know other than getting it for you know, you know getting you know, the whole family getting it for christmas um uh, I, I remember running some of those um Probably keying in, or at least maybe maybe help keying in some of those uh, Christmas demos from Rainbow uh, back in those times, and um, sure that kind of thing. And then just you know other other stuff gotten from Radio Shack, and I was just at a uh, a thrift store a few hours ago, and I, I I finally like I have to get out of this place. There's way too much of my childhood in this store. I found all kinds. Of, I took some neat took some pictures and everything. I did pick up a few things, but like, okay, I need to get out of here before they get a, a good ch- a good chunk of my paycheck. But uh, I found um, I can show real quick here. I think this is something that was probably a Christmas gift, and I think actually my brother had this. It was the the, the, the Tandy. You can see that it's the uh, Tandy electronic baseball, the little LEDs and whatnot. Uh, yes, we we see that. Yeah, and. Um, now show us what, like, show us what's in your other hand, both hands. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Look, mom, no hand. No, I, that, there's no way I want to do that. Anyone uh, that's familiar with Pittsburgh, I'm currently driving into Pittsburgh on Route 28, which is infamously bad, and I'm on the infamously bad section that used to be called the Death Stretch until <laughs> it was redone here the last couple of years. But and I also picked up what I had one of these when I was a kid. I picked this up too. I hadn't seen one of these forever. It's a little. Uh, I can I can here. zoom into that, um, but we can't really see it. But can you describe okay. it? It's the Radio Shack computerized arcade. And uh, okay, here I can uh, go. I think I can actually pull it out of the box. There's all kinds of stuff mm. in the box. There's like little poker chips and stuff with it, and uh, it's just a bunch of lights that light up. I get to have a bunch of games. I remember having having one. It was like seven bucks. I grabbed it. I'm like, I remember having one of these as a kid. Okay, we can see so, it now. I, I, I made it bigger. Yeah. That's one of those memory ones where you got tones and lights you got to do in the same order? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it has a bunch of uh, different uh, games in it, actually. Uh, I remember, it, it's, it's very, it's very, uh, takes a lot of batteries. I look, it takes four C batteries and one 9 volt just to run this thing. Uh, wow. So, uh, I was trying to remember the last thing I owned that even took C batteries. I think it was a wireless doorbell that didn't work well. So, but I haven't had a chance to try it out. But for seven bucks, I grabbed it in the box and has these little has these little poker chips that came with it and everything else. So, does it have cool sounds? Well, I don't. I don't have the. I don't have that quantity of batteries right now to, to 
try it, but I mean, I even have even had the box. There's nice. some little fake poker chips here somewhere that I think fell. I think they fell uh, in between the seats there, but uh, they're there. It might take you five months to get enough batteries there with your Battery of the Month Club there. You have to get a, oh. you know four well, months was, of seats and then a, a nine-volt. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, how the, the printer market went where the printers are cheap, but they get you on the ink. Well, that would be that game, like, they could sell for cheap and get you on the batteries. <laughs> I don't know about any of you guys, but when I had the Battery of the Month card, I always got a nine-volt. Oh, of course. It was the most expensive one. And that was one you could use for something. You know, I, I always would have something that took a 9-volt battery. Like, what would See, you I, use one AA for? Like, you have to wait another month to get the second one. Yeah, but I still got right. AA's because I didn't have anything that had 9 volts probably until the mid-80s. <laughs> yeah, don't you remember checking the 9-volt with your tongue? <laughs> still do it. <laughs> That's how I checked this gold outside on a flagpole, too. But yeah, That explains a lot. That explains a lot. <laughs> I get my kids to test them that way. There you go. <laughs> well, when I... Now they all have afros. Anyway. That's going to be another Joey cartoon, huh? I used to have little, little, <laughs> ladies, <laughs> little old ladies come into my Radio Shack store with their transistor radios and get the 9-volt with the Battery of the Month card, and they had me put the 9-volt in for them. Wow. wow. Did you ever um, take care of uh, guys' watches, have to put the battery in the watch? Uh, sometimes I did that too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we will, of course, as soon as I changed the Zoom, it shifted all the uh, Hollywood squares on me. But I think uh, next on our list is uh, David Ladd. Are you still just as excited as you were when we first started the show? 34 minutes ago. Oh, yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> show to keep, continue on. <laughs> Why um, do you tempt him like that? <laughs> well, I want to know if it, if it ebbs and flows, if it goes up and down. Nope, it's it's permanent. He's on <laughs> oh, fifth well, gear let's all see the time. Here. Memories for the Coco. Um, let's see here. I got the Coco 2 back when I was 12. And I don't remember what year that was. It's been too long ago to remember. Um, but it, uh, I got the Coco 2, a uh, 64K, so it was at the full extended color basic. Um, I got an MPI RS-232 pack, um, sound speech pack. Um, this is all at Christmas? Yeah, I got a whole bunch of stuff at Christmas and some educational uh, cartridges and tapes. Um, Big Bird special delivery. Yeah. You must and have been then, a good um, boy. Taxi. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, explains why I got all the coal. <laughs> and then um, my birthday, which came a few months later, my parents got me the floppy drive for it. So I was really rocking the Coco world back then. Um, That's starting his lifelong obsession. <laughs> and uh, yes, floppies. Now, David, that also got, that also got me uh, when the, the computer lab first got their PCs. That also got me in trouble trying to sneak out copies of the software. <laughs> Uh, David, did you often go over the four-slot maximum in your MPI? Oh, there was never enough slots. There was never enough. 
slots. <laughs> Never. Because it's like also with the Orchestra 90, the <laughs> RC32 pack, you know. Of course, then once I got the Burke and Burke, it's like, but I want all this goodness. I always had problems with having enough slots. Yes. But, uh, but as far as family, no, because really I was the youngest and pretty much everybody else was adults. So therefore it was like, no, they were always talking football and all the other boring crap. And I'm like, <laughs> so I was just, you know, playing, playing my computer stuff, enjoying it long time. Okay. Sports ball. <laughs> and did you uh, did you have uh, do you want to talk later about your mouse adapter or anything anything else that we should come back to you for? Sure, we can do that. Alrighty. Uh, well, I think we have um, somebody from out of this world also on the panel. He's from Jersey, um, unless unless Jersey is the planet Romulus. Uh, he's, no, don't call no. him a red shirt. It's Al Hartman from Jersey. How are you, Al? It's me. I'm doing okay. Here on the Jersey Shore, there is no flooding. The oceans are not rising. Okay. Okay. Well, give it time. Um, my, my, my Christmas memories were working for Radio Shack and decorating the store and playing the Christmas demos on the Coco. Every year, Radio Shack would send a cassette tape or a cartridge with a Christmas demo and I'd load that up in the morning when I got in and that would play all day on the Coco. Yeah, and somebody brought up um, Rainbow Magazine and I should say that's probably my strongest uh, memory was always the Rainbow had, you know, everything was themed in the December, you know, November issues. Did you get Rainbow back then, Al? Well, yeah, I ran the Rainbow Bulletin Board back then. Oh, that's right. So I um, would always get... uh, the monthly discs, a rainbow on disc and the rainbow on tape, and I'd put them up on the bulletin board so people could dial in and download them. Probably took forever at 300 board, because not very many people had 1,200 board or 2,400 board back then. Uh, yeah, I, I worked for Radio Shack on and off. I worked for Spectrum Projects. I worked for Zebra Systems. Oh, I see a rainbow on disc from Ron Delvo. Yes, yes. sir. Oh, there it is! Wow, I never, yeah, I never could um, justify the expense, I guess, or maybe I just wanted to punish myself by typing everything in. And uh, look, that was, du- that's a flippy disc because it's, it's got the double whole sided. Thing. Yep, yeah, and flippy it floppy doesn't have any notches on the side. Oh. Yeah, right protected. Yeah, right yep. protected. So you know what kills me when I worked for Spectrum and I ran the Rainbow bulletin boards, and I had the Rainbow on discs every month. I never thought to make copies of them and take them home. So I had a set at home. I never did have a set at home. I just figured the Rainbow Bolton board would run forever, and I'd be able to download anything I wanted. Well, that's why we're we're thankful in this Thanksgiving season for Guillaume and the ColorComputerArchive.com. Yeah, I I bought my first color computer, which was a TDP 100 from Spectrum, I guess in the early 80s. But, you know, that was when I was already living on my own, so... I don't have any family memories of uh, computers at Christmas. Um, I bought my own computer, my Model 1, in December 79. Mm-hmm. Or 78, but I didn't actually get it till January 79. Because, uh... Okay. 
it took a well, while to get to get delivered to the store. Well, if something occurs to you, let's uh, jump back in. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, other celebrities here to get to. Uh, a man who has been trying to convince us that he's Australian for years. A uh, programmer who discovered the 6309 about a year ago and uh, has created one of the best trash can icons in the history of Multiview for the OS9 operating system. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Nick Marentes. That's right. We're still waiting for him to discover OS9. Yes. I discovered that, all right. Yes, that's right. Uh, I am the only made. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah, that's that's me, the actor, the actor in that fictitious land. Now, aside from uh, annoying kookaburras, I'm talking about the bird, as we know. Yes. And very hot temperatures. It was 45 degrees Celsius the last time I was in Australia for Christmas. Um. What are your holiday um, memories? Is it just uh, being at the beach? No, no. It's pretty well the same as, well, a lot of people have said here. Like Al just said, he's, uh, the Christmas. Oh, I used to work at Radio Shack or Tandy Electronics over here. Mm-hmm. So uh, Christmas was really about um, playing the toys, playing with the Cocos, um, just working in the store around Christmas time, putting up the decorations setting up the displays and it was uh, very busy you know the shop the mall as the used call it uh, it's always full of people around that time of the year so it was a very busy period now you're famous for not liking a lot of change and I, I see I recall a rumor that you were originally against Christmas when uh, Jesus was first born is that uh... <laughs> I don't recall <laughs> oh, okay you, you said Christmas will never be a thing people will not be into Christmas I, I don't know if I said that uh... <laughs> <laughs> that might have been uh, Nick Marionettes <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right I, I always get those two confused uh, well Nick uh, Marentes not to be confused with Nick Marionettes will you have a game on segment or a, a core dump today uh, not really. I am getting very close to the end of the game. So I think last uh, my last blog, I put a list of things I still had to go rather than talk about what I've done. I figured I'll just talk about what's left to go. So one of the things on that list was to put the high school, get the high schools working, and uh, I've just about got that going uh, at the moment. So it's very close to completion. Nick, the uh, copy I got doesn't work very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Because there are any screenshots. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, the, the, the YouTube video I watched had a really great um, – uh, you really put a, a good use to that, uh, that Coco Dac with all that uh, music from your son. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's not coming from the DAC. That's just uh, overlaid <laughs> all right, well, on the uh, video. Glad to have you here, and um, and uh, we'll come back to you know jump in or or go to sleep. Uh, why you know why stay awake now? Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a, another Canadian. He's. He's pr- apparently had Thanksgiving, too. Apparently Canada is another country that has different holidays. Who knew? I think he just, oh, he just reappeared in a new Hollywood Square section of my board. <laughs> you, nobody, uh, 
We'll take D. Bruce Moore to block. Hello. It's right side Moore. Yes, hello. Apparently I'm in mono on the left shoulder. I'm not sure <laughs> what that means. Yes. Well, like they say, less is more. Well, I don't know if you remember, but Nick Marionettes was very uh, against stereo and never thought it would caught, catch on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be. That could be. <clears throat> yeah. So how are you, uh, Bruce? Uh, you've got, uh, you're always very active uh, with different projects. You've got uh, something going on with Compiled Basic and the Discord server. You've got your um, uh, mul- multimedia, uh, Coco Forever, of course, and your... Um, what's the what's the what's your new project called? Where you're hacking the phones? Oh, system hacked. The Thank phone. you. Yeah. A new a new hacked was in there somewhere. Yeah. What are your updates and what are your holiday memories? And are you creating new holiday cocoa memories with your son? Hmm. Well, um, I think probably my best holiday memory, and I've, I've told this before, and uh, I, I know some people out there relate relate to this directly themselves, but um, my friend Glenn down the street, he's he had the cocoa first, and um, it was Christmas time, and instead of having it set up in his room, he, he brought it out into the, the main living room area, and so there's a Christmas tree in the corner, and we had it set up on a table and all the presents there and all that stuff, and he was playing his his cocoa stuff out there and his, uh, I guess his folks were out and we were there and it was, you know, it was over the holidays. It was dark. And I think we just had just the Christmas lights on on the tree. And then he, he went off to the washroom there. And so I thought, well, I'll just play this game a little bit just on my own. That, that, you know, I don't have to wait for him. It was, uh, of course it was Phantom Slayer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, anybody who's played Phantom Slayer in a dark room by yourself, you'll, you'll know that it, 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 it in all of its 8-bit glory, it can still shock you right out of your chair, which is what it did to me. I almost had a heart attack when I'm roaring around and I hear the footsteps and I turn and there it was, you know, just that big sound it made and it just, oh, to scare the bejesus out of me, so to speak. <laughs> so that was my first real holiday cocoa memory uh, down at uh, down at Glenn's place. So it looked pretty uh, magical with them lights, huh? Well, yeah, it was just all... Mm, it was all very mm-hmm. creepy. The house was completely silent, you see, and when that sound came through, it was it was overwhelming. I think Curtis, I think you've had a similar oh yeah Christmas, but something with Phantom Slayer with you as well, right? Yeah, same thing. It's on my webpage on my interview with Ken Kalish at the tail end because he got a good laugh out of it when I told him that story. And then also later at work, uh, we had a bunch of like you know kids that are you know ten fifteen years younger than us. They said there's no way some little eight bit game can scare me. Yeah, because you know, they're used to playing Doom and stuff like that. And yeah. I brought in Phantom Slayer one weekend when we were working overtime and had him play it, and he jumped too. So he had to, yeah, you can. There you go. So it ain't the number of bits; it's the it's the setup and the the drama, yeah. sound effects, that. especially in that particular oh, yeah, case. Yeah, and that especially when it's just so very creepy and quiet. So yeah, so that was my uh, that's sort of my holiday memory. Um, projects, yeah, I'm still uh, chewing away at the. Uh, my next, my next Cocoa game, and uh, it uses uh, C Basic, compiled Basic as a bit of a framework. Although I'm writing more and more straight up assembly for it, um, and I'm finding actually, it, it's almost the C Basic is almost becoming like a prototype, where I get it all running, and then I go, okay, so this is working, and now I've run out of room, so 
Now I take blocks of it and go back and just write it straight into assembly and, and you know, save all sorts of memories. So there actually isn't a whole lot of C basic left. It's shrinking more and more. Um, so chewing away at that, and I'm, I'm getting my son, Jacob, to, to help. I, I'll, I'll throw something up and say, okay, what do you think of this? And he'll, he'll give me honest feedback. You know, well, this part's good and that part sucks. And I was like, ah, you know, he's right. <laughs> so, so I've gone through, there's something I'm working on right now where I've gone through, I think I'm on my third iteration. There's some effect I'm trying to get, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting in close close to it. And um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes in the next little while. But when I when I get it, I'll be like, okay, it'll be pretty obvious that that's it and it worked. And it's, again, it's about, it's not about looking so great as, as gameplay. So mm-hmm. you, you, know, you, need, you need good gameplay regardless of, of you know, the 8-bit graphics or whatever. And, um, and so sort of on the multimedia side, of course, I've been putting out, I've been cartooning. I haven't cartooned since I was in elementary school, and I'm doing my own Coco cartoon, Joey and Coco. And uh, I've got one out new today, and I've got another one ready for next week. And I can okay. show that whenever, uh, whenever we're ready for it. Okay. Well, maybe we can come back and take a, we'll take a break and come back with... Uh... Perhaps Joey and Coco, or uh, or one of the other topics. I know you had some good ideas for other things to, to go over. And then, uh, Curtis, keep me honest with your schedule. I know you you have to go somewhere later, maybe later today. Or no, no, I'm good for the afternoon. I was me getting okay. late to the show. That's why I only showed up like three minutes before. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a, a break. I'm gonna pick a random commercial, and we'll uh, see you after these messages. Hello, this is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco 3 yet? From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. We now return you to Coco Talk. And we're back. Um, we survived. We got somebody breathing heavy into the uh, microphone. Uh, maybe that's Ron. I don't know. No, Ron's on mute. Um, but... Uh, uh, we're turning somebody on, so uh, at least uh, that's, that's... Probably the, David. Probably. <laughs> uh, well, well, what do you think? Uh, we've got some... Um, um, probably news. News, I would think. Um, let's. But why don't we go straight to D. Bruce. Are you still there, D. Bruce? I am here. Yes, yeah, so, you could. So Joey and the Coco first. All right. <laughs> I can uh, I can share it on off of my screen. I think uh, somebody else is sharing screen though. It says yes. I have to stop sharing, and then yeah, you can take over and show us what's going on with Joey and Coco. 
Okay, so this is uh, the continuing saga here. Um, there is a sort of timeline story. So what have we had so far? What was the last thing? Oh, yeah, last week, Joey um, didn't realize that he had to save his program. Okay. So he turned the cocoa off and he came back and uh, and, he was, and of course the cocoa told him he's got bad short-term memory. So okay. this is a, a follow-up to that. Here we go. All right. Here we go. All right. That's a little easier to see. Here we are. So here's Joey with a cassette in hand and he says, so I put in the tape, plus press play and record? And Coco replies, yep, then type C save. And then Joey's like, that makes it, that's a cool sound it makes. And the cassette there is going, brrrr, brrrr. And Coco says, yeah, the two tones are zeros and ones. <coughs> Computer talk instead of music. <coughs> and then off screen, we hear dad going, anyone see my ABBA's greatest hits tape? Uh-oh. And that... Coco's going, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a couple. First of all, I don't know that I ever kind of thought about it, that the two tones are zeros and ones. I mean, I guess that's obvious, but. Um, so that kind of, I already learned something from Joey and Coco. Um, and also, is that even true? I suppose it is. I don't, I don't <laughs> no, I'm just it, it's a mark in a space. It's not oh, a one and a zero because that's serial data. It's like seven or eight bits. And the combination of a mark and space determines what the character actually is. Mm, okay. Okay. Wait, I kind of got lost during all that. So <laughs> can you explain that again? Wait, Brian. It's a square wave, isn't it, Brian? The square wave. Yeah, it's square. It, you, it's two different tones. Okay. Okay. It's like a modem. You've got the you got two different tones for your one for your space and one for your mark. Okay, and the combination of you know of the seven or eight bits, like on serial data, determines what the character is of the eight bits okay. that you're using or seven bits. So, so what it does is that it. The tones actually create the um, what character is, and it just goes so fast at a certain speed that uh, it sounds like it's a whole bunch of different tones, but it's really just two tones. Okay, oh, okay. so I did essentially get it right then. I was I always yep. thought that the uh, the mark equivalent equivocated to one and the space to zero. So, but anyway, square, square wave. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're not square waves. They're sine waves on the color computer. Are they? Yep. Well, like stair step sign or? Sorry. Stair step sign. Well, like it's, it's uh, not a smooth sign, but a... it's not. Well, it's it's as good as you get on the deck. Yeah, it's a six bit sign or whatever. And now, what yeah. was what was the problem with the model one? Was that it was a one bit? It was a one bit um, on that cassette port that made it uh, very unreliable. Nick. Well, if it's a DAC, it'd be six bit, isn't it, Nick? Uh, yeah, on the DAC, it's six bit on the color computer, but on the um, TRS eighty model one was only a one bit sound. But I, I don't know if that's to do with the data itself. That was just the sound that the the, the waveform rather that they recorded. It was uh, more reliable. Well, it is more reliable to use sine waves. So, and that was one of the the big things with the model one why it was not reliable loading things uh the square waves um um the, the the sharp edges of a square wave on some you know playback or record devices didn't come out very clearly so mm-hmm. it was found to use a sine wave 
for the color computer to make it more reliable and let you go at a higher speed. That would make yeah. sense because the audio equipment is, is really designed for. Yeah. Not the, the, mo- the Model 1 is 500 board. Yeah. The uh, Model 3 and the Coco are 1500 board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Fiscarelli in chat is saying it's a sine wave generated by the 6 bit DAC and it's 1200 hertz for a zero and 2400 hertz for a one. Yeah. That sounds right. There we and, go. And there used to be a um, an upgrade for the Model 1 called the XRX mod that made the Model 1 more reliable. And I know they used to be in the market for the Model 1, Model 3, Model 4, Coco, uh, little devices you could buy to hook up to the cassette port that would clean up the signal and make loading and, and recording tapes more reliable. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the names of them for the Coco and the Model 1, but on the Timex market, we sold something called the Winky Board, and it would have two blinking lights. And so when the one light was red and the other light blinked, you knew you had your volume and your head azimuth set correctly. I don't know how many of you did this, but back in the day, I'd have one of those little Radio Shack TV tuner kits with the plastic screwdrivers, and I'd use that to adjust the head azimuth, and I'd listen to the tape load until it was clear as my ear could discern, and then I would usually get a good tape load. Well, at least we at least we got the higher bit DAC in the color computer, although Tandy may have used that as an excuse not to put a sound chip in there. So, um, you know, it could, could have been a blessing or a curse. I'm not sure which. Now, when I did uh, WeFax with my uh, color computer on the jack that went in to listen to the radio, um, there was some hack to do uh, using two Zener, di- Zener diodes, or I don't know exactly how you say that, but um, <clears throat> you, you soldered them into the line, and it would make it so that it would be a cleaner um, reception. And I still use that today. Mm. Franklin- and who knew a cartoon was going to get us into tech talk? Yeah. Kim Franklin <laughs> said it's called FSK, which means frequency shift keying. So that's the technique they use for doing that encoding. That sounds right, yeah. <clears throat> so the two Zener diode trick would essentially uh, clip the tops of the signals if they were too loud. Okay. I do remember one thing. Uh, there was a poke, and I think Rainbow published it at one point, once the Coco 3 came out, because some people were accidentally saving their stuff with the double speed poke turned on, and it would shorten it too much. It wouldn't read reliably. But there was a poke that would extend the leader, and that that at the beginning, it actually elongated that, and then it would actually load them properly, so you were getting just about 3,000 baud, which actually was pretty impressive. Well, the one, the other thing that's important in this comic strip is ABBA's Greatest Hits is probably one of the biggest-selling albums of all time, so this would be very upsetting, I think, to a lot of people. Um so well, could, and let me just say the title. The title for next week's Joey and Coco is "Is Dad Still Angry?" <laughs> <laughs> so you'll next week tune in to see if Dad is still angry. Joey, yeah. Joey, Joey may have met his Waterloo. But yep. see, and then the episode after that's the final <laughs> one because Joey's dead. But <laughs> and, and back then you could have said, "Oh, but don't worry, Dad. Abba's going to get back together and release a new album." Um, <laughs> but uh, that never happened. Um, speaking of legendary performers and musicians, uh, the creator of Audio Spectrum Analyzer is here, Mr. Steve Bjork. How are you, Steve? Hey, hey Steve. 
Welcome. And thanks for being here, Steve. <laughs> Is he muted? He's, he's a man of few words. And yeah. many... Claudio's having issues. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Hey there. Did you catch our theme here, Steve? We're just kind of going over uh, Christmas memories that might involve the cocoa, whether, you know, you got one. Obviously, you, you got probably didn't get one for Christmas, but if hey. there's any family memories, you know, with, with the cocoa involved. Maybe a data soft. I don't know if you guys did anything for Christmas there or anything. Unlike other people that come in late, I listen, I watch the you, the video a little bit on YouTube before I join in. <laughs> We're sorry. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to come in and say, and what have you guys been talking about for the last half hour? <laughs> yep. There'll be a little bit extra check. You might ask why we're talking about stuff for the last That's half hour. Right. Yeah. Anyway, any, any Coco Christmas memories for you? Like, did you write any Christmas demos or anything like that? Or? I didn't write any Christmas demos, but I, um, I do remember, I don't know if exactly it was Christmas. I think it was an early Christmas gift that my dad bought me a TRSA model one. Oh, cool. And, um, well, see, he was in computers where he was working at Litton Electronics. You know, they were trying to miniaturize the stuff to go in submarines and like that. And he just thought it was great that you had such a small computer. He also remembered me building a computer when I was in an electric shop for about a year. Uh, and then they came out with the first computer kit, the Altar 8800, after I spent a year putting this thing together. So, What, it just what did like, you get with your Model 1? I don't understand the question. What are the components you got with the Model 1? I got a Model 1. You got a, dis- a display? Did you get the cassette player? Did you get the uh, expansion well, you, interface? When, when, you buy, you get- when you buy the computer out of the box, you get a monitor and the computer. Later, I added the expansion pack. Okay. Uh, uh, right away, I put a cassette player in, and then I got the disk drives. Oh. Now it's just, That's but what I meant. As far as Christmas goes, he bought me a Model 1 trying to stay on subject here <laughs> yeah well that's that sounds like a good christmas is that yeah. where you it sounds like you probably were very excited about that um oh i was quite excited and i do remember typing in the, in some programs and then having to turn off the computer at night and realize i was going to have to type the programs in again so the <laughs> next day i went down and got the cassette player oh, yes there's the truth there's the truth right there yeah, yeah. You gotta, you that gotta, lines up with the cartoon too so yeah, yeah, but but even before I got the Model 1, I had been playing around with, like, the Altar 8800 because I had a couple friends that had them. I was also going up to the um, Homebrew Computer Society Club meeting that was held once a month up in Silicon Valley, which was fun for a 16-year-old kid driving up uh, from Los Angeles to San Francisco by himself, but still, and got to see all sorts of interesting things like people loading paper tape by using a drill to spin the tape (laughs) and kept thinking there's got to be a better way than doing this. I know we're trying to do it on a shoestring budget, but I can just see the paper tape constantly breaking. And it did. Actually, speaking speaking of the computer club uh, meetings that you had up in Silicon Valley at that time in the late mid to late seventies, did they have any theme things too? Like at Christmas time, did they have a bunch of Christmas demos running on, you know, prototype Apple ones and Altairs? And they were lucky games? to get demos running in the first place. Having a Christmas theme to it um, was tough. Uh, the first 
demo that I heard that wasn't, you know, just trying to blink a bunch of lights and like that or saw was somebody having the Altar 8800 play Turkey in the Straw. I think that was the song by making, by running different instructions and that would make interference on AM radio next to it. <laughs> yeah, and won the it. strip screw award for coming up with a use, useless but still functional idea for this effectively useless computer. That's going to be one of the earliest know, examples of wireless speakers. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about it was, you know, you had no input and output. I remember the first time it was like three or four months after going up there, somebody actually brought a terminal hooked up the Altar 8800. We thought that was the greatest thing. Yeah, because before that, you had to flip switches to enter hex hex digits, didn't you? There's no screen. Yeah, Yeah, somebody would sit there and flip switches for a while, and then they'd screw up, and they had to flip switches for a while, and then they'd screw up again, they have to flip switches for a while. And after about 45 minutes of this, then the lights would flash. And that was pretty much most of the demos. But, it, you know, it, the prog- well, this program here is calculating pi to five digits. Okay, how do you know it's actually calculating anything at all? Because all you see is a bunch of flashing lights. Well, when it gets done, it holds the number up there. I'm going, okay. Uh, see this calculator? I press this button and it, and it does it to eight digits. <laughs> and it actually displays digits using an LED, so. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah it was um you know definitely beginning days but um I think by this I I came up the second year and there wasn't that many people there for the December meeting and nobody really had a Christmas demo going on it's just like you know hey you would have Steve Wozniak there showing off how he could uh freak phones or he had an answer machine on his phone and then eventually he came in with his apple one and hey, you know. hey steve did you ever have a uh, a pulsar watch when they first came out i don't know if it was pulsar but i did have an led watch i had one it was uh had like a ruby um, lens to it you know well, yeah, most of the LED watches had some sort of red filter on them yeah. so that uh, you could see the digits. And, you you know, it, it would show up the best. But uh, interesting story. My first time working at Radio Shack, um, they had me come in selling Model 1 computers and like that. I'm, no, actually, I think this was before the computers. This was earlier, like 76. And I was wearing my LED watch, and I'm working the late shift by myself. And some guys come in, they want to buy this, that, and the next thing. Next thing I know, they're whipping out a Saturday night special, and they're robbing me in the store. And they took my watch that I have for graduation. Oh, dear. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a memory. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, the manager went through and... um, uh, he was going to grab one of the LED watches off the shelf and give it to me to replace my go. I'm sorry. I would like to get my watch back since you guys have insurance. In other words, uh, what he was grabbing off the shelf was a cheap knockoff of my LED watch that I had for about a year. Cheap knockoffs everywhere. 
Yeah. And one thing I remember is those did not last long with a battery. Yeah. But, uh, no, as far as Christmas memory goes, um, I still have equipment at my parents' house, which I've got to go through and start cleaning out since my dad's passed away not too long ago, and my mom's not doing too well either. So we got to get the house ready for sale. But I've got Atari 5200s there and Atari 2600. But, you know, I've got some other things that I've gotten for Christmas. But I've also, when I've gone up there for Christmas would dig through and I it, it's almost like you're getting Christmas again because you find <laughs> oh yeah I did get this thing yeah <laughs> and, and like that and yeah. I, I'm I'm still looking for my tinker toys and my erector set I haven't found those yet but. and one other question for you Steve um, I like I know at, at Radio Shack when you were publishing game stuff they usually especially if you're doing ports for on behalf of somebody else uh, usually had deadlines to me were any of the games that you did deadline for Christmas season Effectively, everything I produced that was a game had a deadline for Christmas. And guess when that deadline was? Thanksgiving? July 1st. <laughs> for the catalog, probably, right? Uh, that's right. Yep. It would not go in the catalog if they did not have final product by July 1st. With a couple of exceptions like Last Ninja. But anyway. Oh. Yeah, well, that's the problem is... <laughs> They thought for sure they were going to get it, and they put it in the catalog. I mean, we all seen the picture of the deluxe color computer in the catalog. And that got killed at the last second. But no, it just, um, when it came to doing games, you know, it had to be done by July 1st. So, it could, you know, because they were setting the catalog. But also, it took them a long time to make the ROM. Even though I delivered the game on July 1st, by the time they actually... Uh, shipped it out to the stores. It was October. But did, 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 did they have many games um, ready for Christmas when in 1986 when the Color Computer Three came out for the for the Coco Three? Um, I have to admit I was probably one of the first ones. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I think my first game. For, that could run the Coco 3 was ready for the first Christmas of the Coco 3. But there weren't many titles, which is no. kind of uh, disappointing. Um, well, see, there, as Curtis probably knows from, you know, the stories from, um, from Microware, is Microware was the only one that had a uh, prototype machine you know, with mm-hmm. the logic boards and like that. They, they, you know, they, were, they were the big guys trying to get OS 9 done since yep. Tandy was working on that. But the rest of us developers, uh, we didn't get those machines. We got early versions of the Gimme, so we had developed the software as best we could until the machine came, and then we could sit down and play with it. Mm-hmm. At least a lot of the specs had been done about how the graphics were going to work and like that. I do remember the biggest problem was, oh, gee, we've got to deal with the fact that we've got composite video and RGB, and they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much to Nick's chagrin. Yeah, Nick doesn't have to worry about that uh, in Australia, but shipping the game over the U.S., boy, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Microware themselves, I mean, they were trying to rush OS 9 Level 2 to get out before the end of the first year, like 86, after the Cocoa started going on sale in September and October, and I don't think they made it. If I remember, Level 2 didn't actually come out until January or February. Rogue came out with a preview version of OS 9, not the same version that was later the main distribution. It was actually an earlier version. 
and people were hacking, Kevin Darling and all were hacking the rogue boot disks just to make boot disks for level two, because that's all they had at the time. So they sold a lot of rogues to the hardcore OS9 nuts. Yeah. Well, when I was uh, developing for the Coco, um, the beginning of Christmas for me was seeing the catalog. Was, you know, oh, my game's in there, my game's in there, yay. I might actually make some money. And because <laughs> if the game went in the catalog, you did pretty good. If the stores were willing to put the game into the computer to demo it in the stores, you did even better. That's why all my games had demo modes. I talked to other Cocoa programmers, go, well, what's use of putting demo mode in? I go, <laughs> Yeah, there, I, I, th- I think it was the that. same for me too. Like when the Radio Shack catalog came out, or the computer catalog, the specific one for the computer stuff, you'd always check to see, you know, what what new games and, and new software was out there, and that was like, and you know, like you said, at Christmas and maybe once or twice else, else during the year, until I f- discovered some of the third party magazines like Rainbow and Color Computer News and Color Computer Magazine, Hot Cocoa, because mm-hmm. for the first year and a half or so, I didn't know any of that third party stuff even existed. And then once I discovered, well, was, well, then every month was like Christmas because you know Tom Mix had a new big ad, mm-hmm. and Spectral had a new big ad. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Well, yeah, we had seen the ads that they come out like that, but I, I was always interested to see what direction Tandy was going in, so I could keep up with it. And once in a while, I have to admit, I'd open up that uh, catalog, and there would be a little surprise. Now they also did a Christmas catalog in the really early days. And eventually that got took over by the uh, computer division and the computer vision. So you would have a special smaller catalog, which was more gifts. And you'd always hope that your game showed up in that gift catalog. It was more of a gift flyer, but, you know, still, um, you always hope for that. And then, of course, you would see those monthly ads that would come out once in a while, too. And you yeah. hope your game sent those ads. Just as much, expo- uh, you know, exposure you could get was great. I don't think I've ever seen the uh, catalog with, uh, you know, Coco Four in there. You say that there was a to Delu- publish it. <clears throat> no, I never oh, said Deluxe Coco Four. Deluxe Coco. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they have a picture of a Deluxe Coco in one of the catalogs. It was, oops, we forgot to take that out. Hmm. Steve. At least that's my reckoning. I, I could be mistaken, but I do remember something about that. Steve, did you ever have any insight into why on earth Tandy did not include a composite uh, input to the CM8? And, uh, I mean, just you're, you're making a computer that's supposed to be backwards compatible, and now you've removed all the colors from your old games. I mean, did they ever... Did anyone at Tandy ever kind of talk about... This- the CMA was designed strictly for more of a professional situation where you're running an 80-column monitor. They weren't looking back at trying to support um, old graphics and stuff like that. It was up to us software developers to support it, not the other way around. All right. Well, there was that Magnavox that, that came with all the different inputs, which I think is right behind Ron. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and those are more expensive than the CMA yeah. that uh, we have. Okay, so why did Tandy do that? It, the answer is <laughs> same as always. Cost same as always. Yeah, Tandy. Tandy was big. Were big penny pinchers. We okay. didn't have low case in the Model One because they didn't want to include one more memory chip. That's true. Whatever yeah. be priced by a couple bucks. Yeah, I was going to ask um, um, Steve on your first Model One, you had no lowercase, right? Oh, I eventually did. You eventually did, yeah. Yeah, 
But yeah, it just uh, back in the day when they were doing the Model One, lowercase wasn't necessary. So why put it in? It, it, true, they did save money, but it was it was considered not needed. Yeah, Later, the Apple, when they come up Apple, with the Model Three, they did. The Apple didn't have lowercase either. The mm-hmm. Apple Two. Yeah. The Apple II didn't. Forty columns, and it. that's it. Yep. And there's third parties that built lowercase ROMs for the Apple and made eighty column cards. Mm-hmm. I, I used to make a couple of extra bucks putting in what we used to call electric pencil lowercase mods into the Model 1. Yeah. Uh, the other reason why they didn't do lowercase, too, is those displays weren't that great on the original Model 1. And lowercase characters are harder to read than uppercase. Smaller, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we, we had lower kits on the Coco, too. I mean, Dennis Bathory kits got quite famous for his ads. Right. Even those. Okay, well, we, you know, we've, uh, we're probably getting close to the news type of the show. I don't know how you feel about that, Curtis. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, did you want a break first? Because I've got a fair let's, bit of stuff to go through. Let's, let's do a break now. I think that uh, audio has gone out over the commercial. Um, so if you're commenting on something, you might want to comment on the commercial um, <laughs> rather than uh, side conversations. Or, or just comment through the text chat locally on the show. Yeah, so we might want to keep until I figure out uh, uh, or re- remember how to stop that. Uh, let's go to a commercial. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi there, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité, le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And we're, we're back, everybody, and someone's doing a drum roll on their microphone. <laughs> thought I'd muted that, sorry. <laughs> what are you getting? Are you getting anxious for the uh, news? You get, Curtis gets very excited about the news. It's, it's very true. Um, well, it's, uh, it's that time of the show at, what, that everyone's always waiting for because it means we're closer to the end. Well, except uh, Jim Brain. He's waiting for the end itself. But. <laughs> yes. So uh, we are we are ready for L Curtis Boyle. Take it away, Curtis. Okay, let me get get me all sharing up here. And uh, can you guys see that? Yep. Okay, I'll just make one little quick news bit uh, before I get into the actual news here. I'll just mention um, the six zero nine six zero nine optimized games that have been released the last couple of weeks are now all available in the Color Computer Archive. So if you guys want to grab them, or if you haven't got them already, they're all available there. How would we find them? 
Uh, just if you log into the Cloud Computer Archive, it's the most recent entry. They're on the homepage, yeah. Yeah. And, and right um, Curtis, did you make a distinction, or does, did, did Guillaume make a distinction between the 6309 fast and the 6309 medium speed? On Xenian? I can't remember if he did or not. I know okay. he differentiated the 6809 optimized versus 6309 optimized, but... Okay. Well, for, um, for those, um, there is a medium speed of Xenion if uh, your 6309 yeah. is going a little too fast. It's for the people that are old at heart and can't keep up with the game. So. <laughs> hey, I finally beat the game on medium, so, you know. Yeah. Well, Brian Palmer beat it on fast, so. Okay. All right. Well, I feel like you're uh, really attacking my accomplishment here. Yeah, I am. Oh, okay. Because um, <laughs> I had to do the extra work to make that extra version just for you, so. <laughs> All right. That's right. You did. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, here, uh, this, I'm going to start off with the Dragon stuff here first, uh, just because there's a fair number of them this week. He's been busy. Uh, that's uh, the same guy, Petsass Jim 1. Um, so this is one is part of the Horus series. Now, Cuthbert's one of the famous series that was on a lot of the micros in, in the UK back in the 80s, including the Dragon. And Horus was another character that appeared in multiple games, which actually you'll see a few of today. And I think we might have done one before Horus Goes Skiing or something. I think we did last week, so... This first one here is Hungry Horse, which is kind of Pac-Man. And you'll have to let me know if the volume's too loud in there because YouTube's kind of terrible for that. But uh, it's kind of Pac-Man with some twists. So there's you're basically in this park or maze. I can't remember the instructions. That is kind of weird. But you've got these little bombs you can set off. And you've got these uh, they're policemen's heads chasing you, basically, or guards, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the twist on this over the original Pac-Man is that it's actually multi-screen, but it's not multi-screen as in levels like the original Pac-Man. They actually connect to each other, so you can go side to side between multiple screens as you're going. So it's actually an extended maze. So let me I'll fast forward to maybe another maze here. Yeah, another thing is there's dead ends. So it's, kind of, it's kind of an interesting twist on the, on the Pac-Man theme. I mean, it's fairly close Pac-Man. You're eating dots. You've got the bombs are kind of like uh, the power pills, but uh, having the interconnected mazes was quite different, for, especially when the time it came out in 83. This would have been a good one to see on the Coco that I don't think ever came across the, the pond. So uh, that one. And that's not a bad color scheme. I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, this is one of the few that it doesn't look too bad the way he's used the palettes. Yeah, this one and skiing. Skiing was was pretty good. Yeah. With the white. This next one here is one of the later releases. It's from 1987, and it's a a text adventure game. Um, But he actually made a uh, machine language routine to do the text on the graphic screen. So he's basically got a 32 by 24 screen. So he's got more lines vertically, and he's got upper lowercase. So I... I think we had a few adventure games like that on the Coco side of things too, but not not a lot of them. But it's a really nice, easy to read, especially using the dragon because it didn't have the artifacting on here. So actually, what it came out as you know nice, clear text. So just a, a, a nice, nice text adventure game. Not too much to show there. So. Uh oh, it's Horace. He's back. Or I'm yeah, thinking of C- Cuthbert. Cuthbert's always uh, doing stuff. <laughs> Horoscope Skiing is actually an interesting one, too, because it's actually two games in one. 
there's the uh, skiing game, of course, where the title goes. But before that, you have to kind of play a frogger game to get to the ski hut to get your skis and then walk back across the road to the ski hill. And he's got a quirky little uh, intro song here. I'll just play a few seconds. Huh. Here comes some skippy YouTube ads. It's a pretty nice song. Oh. So there's your Frogger-themed one. Then you go into the ski hut. Now you've got your skis you're carrying. Oh, that's pretty pretty cool. I like when you get hit here. You don't just flatten out. You actually get like thrown off the road by the impact, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I always like that. Anyway, I'll fast forward to the ski part. Yeah. Yeah, this is where a lot... They, they, these Dragon users are really use these other color modes. No, notice at the top of the screen it says cash, 20 pounds. Yep. Not euros or dollars. That's right. This is pre-euro. So what... I know on the screen between the poles here, just kind of like you know the 3D scheme we had on the Coco. But I just like the fact he combined two basic arcade games that exist on their own into one big one. So it's almost like getting a bonus game. Yeah, and you could. Uh, I wonder if if you put the double speed poke on this, if it would go faster. Yeah, I mean, I could six through nine eyes this one too, because this is the scrolling. That's exactly what I've been speeding up in the other games. So I could could do it on. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of your six three oh nine version. It's, and you put double speed and the 639 and it becomes, I don't know, jet skiing or something. Yeah, well, the, the game's over just by hitting enter. It, it's just over. <laughs> but it, it's it's a nice game. It's a, it's a pretty cool one, having the, the two games for one type of thing. Yeah. This one's called Hornets, and it's kind of an original game. I don't really know how to describe it. You've got a bunch of uh, hornets, I guess, circling around. A box at the top, and then you got to shoot them, and occasionally you get things to come down. <sighs> I cleared all these things. Well, more Puyan colors, but you know. Well, they didn't have artifacting, so I mean, that was your choice this or the, the green one. That's right. Basically, it just repeats. You get multiple hornets at the top that circle around, and well, you don't shoot them all in time. More come out. It's very fast. And occasionally, this, and occasionally, this thing comes and dive bombs you. So it's kind of original. I don't, I don't recall an arcade game that looked exactly like this. So looks a little more like centipede, except that they're not linked. Yeah, and they don't actually come down at you, except for the one triangular doohickey guy. Whoever invented that sound routine that got used a lot, that uh, just want I want to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for for finishing that thought. I didn't. I didn't want to get violent. We'll get our bronze people to talk to your people. <laughs> this next one's called High Low, and it's a basic game. And there was just like the early days of the couple. There was quite a few basic programs that were actually sold commercially. And unlike Steve, I like Steve. I'll skip the directions. And I'm not really sure what how to play this game. It's something I've ever heard of. Anybody else knows? Can you can you send me the soundtrack to this? This is beautiful. Looks like a business game. Probably sell high, buy low. Could be. 
<laughs> okay. okay, can we can we move on? You're not uh, excited? I think I'm going to stab myself in the eye with a dull spoon. <laughs> now, this next one is actually a two-parter. There's two games they sold separately. And this is interesting because I'd never heard this before. This was released not just on the Dragon, uh, but it was also released on uh, the Amstrad CPC, another UK computer. Uh, but it actually had a contest and a fairly lucrative one. Uh, you could win a golden jeweled hair, and I'll show you the picture because they actually had it on the box art. They took a photo of it and put it on there. It's actually made of real gold. Or £30,000, which back then was probably about $75,000. And basically you had to solve these weird graphical and text-based riddle puzzles, and then you had to fill in a little card on the tape, and you had to solve both of them. So you had to buy the co- both both versions of the game. The, the prelude is one's called, and the finale is the other one. And then you would solve it, write down the answers, mail them in, and then you got to draw. As far as I can tell, I think both the Amstrad and the Dragon combined, one person out of all those two groups won the final prize, your choice of the cash or the or the gold thing. I don't really understand the game too much, so I kind of feel a little bit beyond me. That's your intro screen. Oh. Pretty good artwork. And then you get all these little weird riddles you got to try to figure out. So, okay. All right. So, so I won't go through the whole thing. I mean, the contest is long over. You can't win the money now, but. <laughs> is it real? Is it over finally? And then the finale one, same, same splash screen, same type of gameplay. I mean, the game itself doesn't look, you know, too impressive to me. But the this here, this is the uh, artwork for the prelude version of it. Let me just zoom up to the full size. Mm-hmm. Competition. So that's the actual gold piece of jewelry you could win. Okay. And if you look under one, under the competition rules, you can see at the bottom, you can win the golden jeweled hair, or if you prefer, 30,000 pounds in cash. I think I'll take the 30,000. Thank you. Yeah, so that, that was in, rather interesting. I'd never seen anything, especially with that large scale of a prize you know, in North America before, unless anybody else has. I've seen like little competitions. Like I remember DICOM, when they released Gates of Delirium, if you solved it, you could win a free Coco 3. But you know, that's $329 Canadian at the time. Versus seventy five thousand dollars for this thing, or if you took the cash prize, so that that was kind of interesting to me that that, that somebody put up that much as a prize for a computer game. Yeah, I think, uh... and I I couldn't find any history on this. I don't know if the person that did did finally win whether they were a Dragon or an Amstrad user, and I don't know if they picked the cash or if they picked the gold. I mean, gold back then compared to what gold is worth now, they might have actually made more money picking the gold. For all I know. Next one here is called Hide and Seek. And uh, this is sped up, so you don't have to wait the full two minutes and 20 seconds to win. I do like the warning about about how long it'll take. And it's kind of a two... Jeez. Ah, <laughs> I literally cleared all those off before I joined the show, and now they're all coming back on. So YouTube's getting even more aggressive yeah. with their ads now. I think we need to get you um, an ad blocker. So it's, it's kind of the, um, you've probably seen the matching squares one where you try to match the two pictures. So in this case, it, it, it does all the pictures at first on this particular version of the two games. There's, like I said, there's two different ones. 
and then you it'll blank them all over and then it'll pick a random one on the bottom square and then you have to remember which one it was so it's kind of a memory game hey speaking of basic speaking of memory games just real quick are you are you gonna um for the match game for nitrous nine are you gonna fix the issue with the mouse for beta five uh, refresh my memory. What's the All right. issue with the most? I'll, we'll come back to it later. It's fine. Okay. I, I can't remember. It's, it's using joystick instead of mouse or something? No, yeah, I'll, I'll... It's fine. I'll, I'll remind you later. Okay. This one's called 3D OXO, which is 3D Tic-Tac-Toe. I think this is also written in basic, but it, it's pretty nicely presented for a basic game. Screen. That does all this typing stuff, which gets annoying with the sound, so I'll skip it. It's rather nicely presented for a, a little basic you know, strategy style game. Mm-hmm. And you move your little aliens and then place your pieces and fill in the squares, etc. Okay. 3D, tic tac toe. This one I might have shown once before, way long time ago, but since we're kind of going through all the dragon stuff in almost alphabetical order from the way Pets Ask Jim 1 is, is putting them out, I thought I'd put it up again for, especially for people more recent to the show that haven't seen it. But this is a kind of a semi-3D soccer game. And we're getting heavy breathing again from somebody. Yes. Uh- Somebody's really excited about soccer. <laughs> Oh, sorry, footballs, it's called elsewhere yes. besides North America. Sometimes it's called footy, so maybe someone's getting a footsie. But two players, and then, you know, scrolling side to side. and That's not half it's bad. It's indoor soccer, so there's no throw-ins, but it's, it's pretty good. It's one of the better sports simulations I've seen on the Coco 1 and 2 level. Because we don't have that many soccer games, do we? I don't know if we had any on the Coco 1 and 2 besides anything ported over from... From the UK. We had football, we had baseball, we had tennis, several poorly done golfs. Yeah, this that is... little red shirt guy's a pain in the butt, isn't he? <laughs> Look at him going around and around. <laughs> and they've got the shadow on the ball, which is kind of cool. So they, they actually really thought this one out quite well. Yep. Now, if you're into soccer, that's a good one to get. Yeah. Uh, the next one here is called Interplanetary Trader, and it's a um, tra- space trading simulation game, which we had tons of, and so did every other platform. But it's it's got graphics just for this one intro screen, and then it's back to text for the rest of the game. But it's nicely laid out. Like, like they kept these kind of menu-style things rather than just printing raw text. So I thought it was a pretty pretty decent version of, a, of one of these types of games. Next one here is Jet Boot Colin from Pocket Money Software, which was kind of the Nova Soft of the UK. It was uh, semi decent or decent games, but done with a really annoying sound, apparently. But um, they sold stuff for dirt cheap, like four or five pounds, like 10 bucks or less. Now, this has artifacting, but it's not obviously not displaying, but it does have the vertical lines. Well, it could be considered artifacting, but he actually just meant it to make it look kind of gray. Oh, I see. It wasn't wasn't meant to be in color. And basically, you just jet around. You have to get the the, the numbered shapes, which I'm assuming is me, while avoiding everything else. 
Now, this one is a bit of a mystery to me. I don't know if any of you guys have any background details on it. I'm assuming most of you have seen Module Man by Spectral Associates. It's one of the ones that Stevie presented on the uh, Sound Speech Pack special he did because it's one of the games that supported it. So Henry Reitfeld has got a video up showing Module Man running on a cocoa and then running on a dragon, both the speech sound pack. So that's kind of what we've seen before. But there's also a version on the Coleco Adam that adds background music. Have any of you heard of this? No. So I'll just fast forward a bit to the gameplay. So if you guys recognize the game there. I don't... What's the name of the game? Module Man? Module Man, yeah. And this is... Well, we did a sound speech pack special about a year ago, I guess now. This was one of the ones we featured because it had a few little bits of speech and stuff in it. And this was a, sorry, this was originally a dragon game or a Coco game? No, originally a Coco game uh, by Spectral Associates. And then he got ported to the dragon. So this is the dragon version, which basically looks the same. Now he's running on a composite NTSC dragon, so it still has artifacting. Oh, it's 10 controls a little off. Um, then he fast forwards to the Coleco Atom, which I didn't even know had a version. But this one actually has music. Can you guys hear that, or is it too quiet? I like it. Blips better. <laughs> I just said I'd never heard of Spectral doing a, anything for the Atom or ColecoVision before, so this was brand new to me. What sound chip did the Atom have? I don't even know. I never had an Atom, so... Some of my family members did, but they quickly got rid of them for the uh, Commodore 64. Anyway, I thought that was rather interesting. And then we're talking about Xenion here. So this video is actually made by Rob Inman, so you can probably describe it in detail more than I can. Uh, This was you playing with the medium speed, is that correct? Yes. Or is this the fast speed? No, I think it's the medium. Uh, So this... This is a 6309 Optim optimized, but it's running in 6809 mode, right? Just with the, the stack, or just with the uh, memory move instructions enabled. That's Speed right. It up somewhat, but not every instruction. So, which which put it right about the right speed that I think it's supposed to to run at. Um, it did. It would slow down when there'd be a lot of activity going on on the screen, uh, especially later in the game. Um, yeah. So I'm sure the 6309 native version would um, improve that. Uh, but for me, um, I didn't like the 6309 version because the native version because it was it was so fast that you you couldn't actually get a space between the the the, the bombs to actually um, knock out like the force field and things like that. Um, so the timing was all off. Now now that I've beaten the game, you know, can I go back in and maybe play it at the higher speed? Um, perhaps. Yeah, I know Brian. Brian uh, played it at the full speed, and he actually, I think he wrapped it twice or something like that, if I remember correctly. You're talking about uh, Bryza or Brian? Brian? Bryza, yeah. Oh, Bryza. So he played at the full speed? Yep. Now, I did wrap. I did did go to the, um, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, where it starts over at the beginning. Um, So I I just didn't get as far as Bryza. Um, but it does start start back over at the beginning after you beat the game, and it 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 mixes up the aliens, so you get a little bit of a different look when you when you um you know loop back around. Okay, 
And uh, Nick, are you still on the call? Wrenches? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wake up. This was actually written by a fellow Australian and sold independently by him before he started selling it through Dicom. Um, did you, were you ever in contact with him? I know you were in contact with him. Uh, I was in contact with him back then, but uh, he's disappeared uh, since then. Okay. Bryza sent me a message saying he has gotten contact with him again. Yep. Oh, okay. And Michael Duncan, the author, he has confirmed that he originally developed it for the Coco 1 and 2, um, which explains some of the way that the graphics look and some of the masking and, and some of the... color. Yeah. And it's four color, yeah. Yeah, and the four colors. Um, but I guess he sent... And it, it blows my mind because I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I guess he sent it out and um, only the Color Computer 3 version was chosen to be published. But if you look at the DICOM ads and, you know, I could... I could show that, but it basically it basically implies that both versions are available from DICOM. Yeah, and as far as I know, DICOM only ever sold the Coco 3 version, so I wouldn't mind seeing the Coco 1 and 2 version, too. Yeah, now, now why wouldn't you want to sell to the complete marketplace? I don't know, but maybe it was too slow. Uh, it could have been that, or it could have been, like, DICOM, Xenon was one of the you know games for the Coco 3 within the first two years of the Coco 3's release. And people were hungry for Coco Three compatible games, so and maybe they, some of the Coco yeah. Three features. So I think he wanted to grab at that market as much as he could. Mm-hmm. That's usually what was happening back in the beginning. Yeah, because if you were the first out of the gate for the certain type of game for the Coco Three, then everybody would buy that because there was nothing else available yet. Mm-hmm. You didn't want the primitive Coco One and Two version at that point. So I think it probably was to help help sales at the beginning. Well, so it'd be cool to see the the Coco One and Two version now, um, if he can. Yeah, because I can do some of those same optimizations and actually give it a decent speed. So yeah, and then Dragon users might be able to play and. Yep. And um, Curtis, if you go back to the six three oh nine optimized fast version, go in there. You should have you should be able to find enough uh, code in there or space in there to put some code in there to force it to synchronize to the VSync. That way, the game will slow down to a slightly, well, hopefully, a, a, a better speed or a more, more playable consistent. speed. But then it won't. Yeah, it'll be. It, it won't slow down as much as well. Yeah, so. that that takes that means I have to actually disassemble it a lot more than I plan on. <laughs> as in, my whole uh, purpose of the six three nine patches was to do quick hacks to get a really good speed boost. I'm just looking for memory copy routines for scrolling games. Basically, is what I was looking for. And, and those are quick to find. I know I can fit those in a smaller memory footprint or the same size as the originals because the TFM is a very small instruction to set up for. What did he use originally? In this case, he was using low D sturdy, same as uh, color card. Yeah, so all that code, you've replaced that with a TFM? Yeah. Well, there, there they should be the enough. Like, it, wasn't, it wasn't long code in this case. Uh, the stack no, but there should be enough. Usually. Yeah, there should be enough where you've chopped out a lot or bypassed a lot of that code and put a TFM, that should have left you with enough space to put a uh, a sync, uh, some sort of a, a, a synchronized to V-sync, which is only a few bytes anyway. Yeah, but then that. I also have to find the sound routines and figure out how he did those, like if those have to be synced too or if he's got some background thing running. Uh, the, the the way I do the V-sync is I poll it. I don't, I don't talk to the interrupt routine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I can send you that. Yeah, if I, I decide I have a lot of time to waste, I might try that again. Who knows? No, nothing but. <laughs> or, or I could just, you know, send you where I patch it. You could do that part. No, no, I'm too busy. 
But, although I'm too busy you, doing real programs. <laughs> but Curtis, what about a game like Contras? Is that something that could be improved? I have to take a look at Contras. I've got a list of about 15 other games I want to try. There's a few I did take a look through. Some of them actually don't have scrolling routines that I thought would, like Devious. It doesn't. It redraws lines every time. And that it, I didn't feel like you know trying to figure out how those line routines worked and where they were and everything else. So I did do a patch to Gauntlet 2 that's slightly faster, though. Uh, David, lad, if you're still on the call, I gave you the two videos to see if you could try to sync because I had to hand record them. Um, but I, the speed up was very negligible. I thought it was going to be a bit more than that. I'd have to enable native mode uh, on top of the patches I did. And, and what's the uh, what's the game where um, Be Where I Live? What's that? Um... Sinistar. That's another one that's on my yeah. list to check. Okay. Yeah, there's a few others, Draconian and a few others there. But I'm, I'm trying to get back to EOU first and try to get that done. And then maybe I'll sneak in another. I'll, I'll be like Nick all these distraction projects, which is what this was. Okay. And I, I was waiting to hear back from Bill on the some of the Nitro Nine changes we're doing here, and he was busy, so I decided well, I'll do this in the meantime because I've been thinking about doing this for years. Yeah, and I um, got to it. So Paul Shoemaker joined, and Paul, don't go anywhere because I think we want to talk to you about some of your projects. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah, I do right. have one comment that I wanted to add about speeding up games like that. You got to remember, mm-hmm. us game designers, we designed the game to run a particular speed, or I should say. Uh, most most of did. us game designers designed it that way. So, oh, yeah, we'll make it run twice as fast. Well, you just made it four times harder. Well, that's what I'm saying. So if you look hey. if you look at these little um, in the game below, um, the I don't know what you call them, these missile silos that open and close. Um, mm-hmm. And when they're going so fast that you can't even get your ship over to actually shoot because they're coming, they're just flying at you so fast that you'll get hit by three or four of those missiles in, in a row and you'll die. So that's where it gets to um, be very difficult. Yeah. And also, though, some, some Cocoa authors did try to do games a bit beyond their capability or a bit beyond the Cocoa's capability. And one Steve Bjork actually specifically mentioned in an interview with Rainbow when the Cocoa 3 got released was Marble Madness, one of the ones I optimized, actually, by DICOM, because he said it was a little bit too slow on the Cocoa 1 too, but now with the double speed poke on the Cocoa 3, I think you said you had a grand old time playing it or something, I think was the quote. Exactly. You know, so there that- are some that it does to help. Well, that's the thing is you're definitely dealing with, gee, um, I want to do all this graphics. I want to do all this stuff. And the Coco's just not quite able to do that. Well, then yeah. in your routines, you have the guy step a little farther each time. And like that, of course, then when you speed it up, the guy's just racing across the screen. You just can't control it. A little bit like what happens in Canyon Climber on the higher levels. Yeah. Marble made or Marble Madness though doesn't speed up; it just gets more complicated with more foes to get around and and not die with. So it's uh, it's it was a good one to do the speed up on where it works pretty good. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there was a couple games that I probably wouldn't bother that I probably could speed up because they're already running plenty fast. It's Time Bandit would be a good one mm-hmm. as an example. If that one running twice as fast as it is now, I don't think it would be playable. Okay, next up here is. Sorry, can you? Uh, Destiny um, is uh, is messaging us. Can we uh, talk to her? No, no, that's that's a <laughs> friend of the family. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the next one here is Lee Perkins. He's been trying to do basically. He wants to convert a PC game that has the full sixteen color ANSI and the full IBM character set. And of course, we don't have an equivalent. Our hardware character set doesn't have any special IBM characters. And we don't have all the colors. You're only allowed eight foreground, eight background. 
So he, uh, I turned him on to Twilight Terminal, which is a program that uh, Sockmaster did that actually flip page flips between three 640 wide screens and four colors on each with dithered text that it alternates which pixels are dithered on each screen as the page flips to actually get all these colors. And he's been working on this over the week, talking to Sockmaster, and he's actually basically got it working now. Uh, he's got a quick little video demonstration here. You can see some of the special characters, the cross hatches and stuff like that with the color. And you get a bit of a shimmer, but it's nowhere near as bad as it would be with uh, raw page flipping, which flickers like mad. So it's a really good technique that Sock came up with. And now he's got 20 colors to play with and um, the full ANSI character set. So I'm looking forward to the game he's actually going to be porting over here using that. Yeah, so what kind of game is he is he going to do then? Like what? Uh, did he mention up here? I think he just mentioned he's doing it for a game. You know, he asked about a, a sort of a, a, a dungeon crawler game that was done in just eighty column ASCII text on the on the uh, you know on an IBM PC way back when. I can't remember the name of it, but I assumed that that's what he was trying to do this for. Oh, could be. But if you if you go through his uh, Facebook, you can actually see how he as he progressed because his first couple of attempts there were not very, very good. They were flickering like mad. Or no, no. An example, you can just see how bad that looks on the dimmer colors. Is the Gimme X going to um, have a mode then that will prevent you from having to do this? Uh, it's got higher color modes. Um, I, 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 if I had the full details on the Gimme X, I could tell you, but I don't at this point. Okay, and then what? It, I know. Can you do this in OS nine? Yeah, you can page flip between three three screens. I mean, my bouncing ball demo is page flipping two screens. Okay. And uh, I know we've got the image scan or uh, the view program that used um, Nick Morenti's created uh, IMG files from his RAS scan. Actually, had his four thousand ninety six color mode, as he called it, uh, which page flip between three. Okay. So yeah, you can. Yes, you can. That's my new uh, hashtag for OS nine. Yes. <laughs> And then Jim Gary is working on a port of the game called Maze of Argon from the VZ200, which I think was also VDG-based, like the Coco and MC10R. But he's working on a 3D maze routine. So I'll just fast forward a little bit here. And so you're helping him on this, right? Uh, not this one. I was helping him on a Calabeth. Okay. Which actually is high res and requires the MCX-128 and... But this this is just using stock, you know, MC10 graphics modes. It's not too bad, though. It gives you the effective, you know, illusion of 3D in low res. Now, this one I have to ask you guys about, too. Henry Reitfeld posted two other videos yesterday, I think it was, which was a complete surprise to me. Apparently, there's um, ports of two Intellivision games to the Coco he's running here. Night Stalker and Astro Smash, which I have never seen before. They're not on the archive. I don't know where to download them. I actually sent him a question on the YouTube comments to say, where, uh, where do you get these things? And he hasn't answered me. So I'm wondering, is this, was, did, did he do this as a joke and he actually hooked up something else to the same hate to do this? Or is this actually a port that we have? Have any of you seen these? I have not. No. It almost has really he... close to the television. Oh. Or has he written an emulator? Transcode. I've, I have no idea. He hasn't answered me, so I couldn't even tell you. Because that looks like a very Coco 2 P mode 4 screen. Yeah. I mean, there's no color, unlike the television version. And the, the television was also low res. So. 
was lower res and a slower <laughs> CPU, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, it did have a sound chip. <laughs> yeah, but he, he hasn't emulated that. But like it, it's got even the smooth running that the original. I remember seeing this at the day because most people did. You're, you're walking people is very like three frames mm. or something, and this is a much smoother animation of the running and stuff. It's almost Prince of Persia early version type thing. Okay, so Paul Fiscarelli saying something in the chat. Part of it's part of the AGD games, I guess. I don't remember seeing uh, any AGD games. I don't think so. What is, what it are you does say? look almost like an AGD engine, but I don't remember seeing these on there unless somebody's done it after the fact. It actually says in television at the start. Yeah. Hmm. That's why I think it could be a, a transcode. He's, Paul, like yeah. Paul is very firmly saying that these are part of the AGD game, so I think you're calling him a liar. <laughs> <laughs> can, he, can he let us know which, which group of AG games it's in? Because there's been so many of them back so... So I wouldn't mind seeing them. I don't remember seeing it when we went through them all, but I might have missed it. <laughs> all right, well... And this one, I mean, this one I think actually came with the Intellivision at one point, so I think a lot of people have seen this one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we'll have to check the uh, AGD and the World of Dragon archive. Yeah, if, if, if he can actually you know, give us you know, a direct link to the particular pack that has it, I would, I would love to see that. And I was hoping Rick was going to be on today to talk about this, but I, unfortunately he's not. Um, he's been working on the new sequel to Temple of Rom, where he's going to make larger mazes. He's adding some more monsters. So the top screenshot here just shows, you know, basic data statements, uh, double byte assembly language code with some of the color codes here. And then he's got a little demo video showing one of the new monsters coming on the screen. Yes, that's very, that's very scary. And again, he's got a, dement, a demented mad ghost, and he's also got a skull he's adding in too. So, and and as with most things in Temple of Rom, you it doesn't scroll. Uh, you have to walk very far across the screen across the screen for the scroll to happen, which means you don't see what's coming next. So then the the ghost jumps out. Yeah, it's even more challenging. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to skip in the news a little bit here. I'll save the Stevie stuff for the end. Um, so I'll go here. Uh, Run Dino Run, which was a, a team up between Paul Fiscarelli and uh, Simon Jonasson, they've actually released the source code now. So if you go on to GitHub on their account, uh, you can get the complete commented source code for that that game, including the three voice music player that runs in the background and and the, the graphics and, and the game itself. So if anybody wants to modify or just learn how they did it, here you go. I wonder if they'll make it for the one and two. Uh, they wouldn't be able to do the music routine the way they are now. That's yeah. the one thing. They require the matter. interrupt to do it. So you'd have to drop that or, or simplify it greatly. And uh, this uh, one here is basically the uh, next episode of the Coco game, or Coco show on uh, the Amigos guys. It's actually been recorded last night. I don't. I didn't get a chance to check this morning before I got back to the show, but as of last night, they hadn't split it out onto its own separate thing because they ran three of the shows together so uh, they were reviewing Time Bandit and then they reviewed Thexter right, they, they both really liked Time Bandit especially considering the error it was and the fact that it predated Gone was like heat. two years that's awesome right. people that, that saw awesome. later that's at the very hard that's really neat thought it was uh, so uh, a clone of Gone what do you got and then they did a review of Thexter a little bit later on now which 
So it was mixed reviews between the two of them. One of them didn't mind it too much. The other thought it was not as good. I won't spoil who did I've this on a couple systems. It's pretty decent. It's nice to see them getting the new content. They did one of my picks for the upcoming one, and they're going to be doing Phantom Slayer as one of the two games for the next episode. And they're, as I mentioned, I think last week, they're actually got enough Patreon subscribers now that they're actually doing it twice a month. Yeah, they have a really good rapport. They keep things moving. They they have a, um, um, you know, it, it's very... They do some research ahead of time to figure out some of the details, you know. They're yeah. like the complete opposite of our show. Yeah, they it's... They good uh, rapport. They, they keep things moving. <laughs> <laughs> they research their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Paul Fisk really posted a link to the Color Computer Archive that has the AGT games with those ZX Spectrum ports. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out because I, I, I guess I just completely forgot they were there. Um, it is very interesting watching the Amigos because the guy on the left there, and I, and I, I forgive me if you guys are watching, I just forget forget the names, but the guy on the left uh, didn't have the Coco, and so he was commenting yep. that Thexter was very out of date by 1988, but you were, you were mentioning in the chat, Curtis, that Thexter actually came out many years before. Um, yeah, it came out in 85 originally on some of the Japanese systems. It came out on the Coco in 88. So, yeah, the Color Computer 3 was getting a lot of kind of last-minute hand-me-downs um, as Tandy finally started licensing, um, you know, official games, RoboCop, Predator. A lot of these games had come out um, several years before. Yeah, the Coco, the Coco 3, they actually started licensing a fair bit. I mean, Steve was involved with some of them, too, like uh, Rampage. Um, but, you know, the Coco 1 and 2 era, there was like Zaxxon, Puyan, and then Moon Shuttle and Frogger, which weren't sold at Radio Shack, and that was pretty well it. I guess Poltergeist is an officially licensed property. But as far as, you know, arcade ports or something, that was that was pretty well it. And not even a lot of cross-platform games that they did back then. Some of the educational stuff, I guess, like some of the Sierras, you know, Donald Duck's Playground stuff was cross-licensed. But Yeah, with Dexter, I don't know if, I don't know if the other platforms had... Uh, different con- control schemes because I, n- I never played any other version, but uh, they were comic- commenting how how when you transform into the ship and then you hit a wall, it, you automatically tran- uh, transform back into the robot, and it's very annoying. And I remember that being an issue for me when I was a kid playing it, um, which they could have uh, created a dedicated key, you know, in order yeah, like the shields key. Yeah, exactly. I got used to it, so I didn't get. I wasn't too bad at playing it back in the day, but yeah, it could have used some improvement. I think it was rushed. I think they originally planned to make it a disc game with more of the levels like the the other versions had, but then they decided to you know settle in a cartridge because it would fit on 128K. People wouldn't have to have disc drives to run it, so their market was a lot bigger. So they had to cram it into a 32K cartridge because this is before they started doing the quote-unquote super cartridges with MMU units built into them like Robocop and Predator did it. Of course, so this now, is one that really could have used it. Yep. Well, now we have the OS9 version, which is so much faster. And, uh, of course, you could you know add additional levels if somebody was enterprising enough to uh, continue developing on it. Yeah. I mean, there's some other features we added on it, too. Like, you can start at any level of the five levels. You can you know, make yourself immortal so you never die. What's the level um, command to start at if I wanted to start at level five? How do I do that in, in uh, ease of use? Well, the um, if you're double-clicking it on the icon, it won't, because I didn't make it an option right there. But if you run it from the command line, you just do dash. Well, just do dash question mark. It gives you a complete list of the help, all the commands we have. Okay. I don't recall that. By we, to... I mean Alan DeCock. I didn't have anything to do with it except play test. Okay. Okay, so 
Uh, look forward to the separate version of just the Coco Show by itself, because in this case here, you have to scroll through two hours of the other two shows to get up to it. They got the Amigo Show and then the Sinclair Show first. Um, but the separate version will be coming up probably later this week, I'm guessing, on YouTube. And then the last two I have here, Stevie recorded some stuff before he headed out to Georgia on Friday. Um, his first one was uh, Project Update, which is uh, he was trying to source out uh, plastic replacement pens for the koala pad because a lot of koala pads that you find on eBay and stuff, the pen's long gone. Uh, I won't play the whole hey, thing here. On? Dudes and dudettes, it's me, Stevie Stroke. But basically, he did find some. They're a dollar each, plus shipping. Pencil. Um, and uh, they seem to work okay. To he did some you know, tests with a little... Now going to help me speed up. Uh, at zero, zero, I can kind of sort of go across here. I should be able to get all the way over to 63 if I jump to the hard right. And if so I just out of curiosity, how many people here on the panel actually have qualipads? And reach 63... Um, I don't anymore, but I certainly so I wish from zero, zero, I still did. The top uh, I went for the Commodore 64. 6363, which is the bottom right corner. So I can get all of the oh, you're hoarding. coordinates on the <laughs> X-pad. You know, I wonder if you can still find those for that dollar One thing piece. that is a little bit wonky, and I don't know if this is my tablet surface or if this is the stylus, because maybe my surface is a little bumpy because it's 40 years old. Yeah, it seems to but jitter a bit, and I, I don't know if that's the stylus now. or the surface, as he's saying, say or just the fact here. that the wasn't the greatest and device or not. Uh, but color two. If you have one, though, at least you, now you can get replacement pens, and they're across. cheap. One of the things you'll see here is that oh, I we'll don't... We'll post a link for the full video for that. And then he did his playthrough of the uh, six through nine games here um, with some commentary on it. Um, I think it was on... Gantlet, he was saying that it stills jerky, and that's just the way it was programmed. I mean, there's not much I can do unless I rewrote Dave Dye's original routines. Because basically, when your guy hits the edge of the screen scrolling, it, it it shifts the scene over and then moves your guy with it, and then it shoves your guy back. So it looks like he's bumping back and forth as he's walking. And we've kind of seen videos on this stuff before, so I'll just show you and grab Gantlet here so you guys can see the effect. He was talking about. Oh man, that rock came out of nowhere. Sucker. Uh, I gotta move this out of the way for a second. See what I'm doing. It's touchstone. Crikey. Crikey. Yep. I've never actually played Color Car, car Action. I'm looking forward to that. The bone pile leaves a little. I can see the little, you know, jerking back and forth the guy does when it's scrolling. I guess he thought I was going to smooth that out too, but just like changing the, the scroll routine doesn't exactly fix that. But it is running. This is one that actually I think I was most impressed with the speed up because it's literally running almost twice as fast. It's almost Coco 3 speeds. And if you add the Coco 3 poke on top of it, then it really runs fast. And it just does lag when it gets filled with monsters because that's just the limitation yeah, of the so point. Now this is starting CPU to wear and tear here. I got a lot of objects on the screen. The scrolling <laughs> is kind of But it's definitely better than it was. So he did about 20 minutes of reviewing all those, so. And I think I had a last-minute edition that Al Hartman threw in. So maybe Al can talk about it a bit more because I didn't get a chance to really research it. But I think it's a DriveWire server that actually runs in the model 1, 3, and 4. Al, any comments? Uh, or did he drop off? I think we we lost Al. I see him there. Just put the poor guy to sleep. <laughs> Maybe he got beamed up. All right. Well, 
Um, yeah, at any rate, my understanding is that basically there's a DriveWire compatible service. You can use the DriveWire service software you have now, and you can actually serve files to a Model 1, 3, or 4, if I'm understanding right. But hopefully if he comes back on later, he can clarify that. Okay, well, if, if this is a good um, um, point, we can cut over to Paul Shoemaker. I don't know if we want to take a break first or we want to go right to Paul. What do you think? I, I think we can go right to Paul. How, how long okay. is your presentation, Paul? I I. I have no it's presentation. Kind of news, so we might as well include it with the news section. Yeah, right? okay. it's newsy. I just uh, Paul has a lot going on, and we we haven't been able to talk to him. And I know a couple of other shows he popped in and popped out before we could, um, kind of ask him. Um, Paul, how are how are your projects going? Particularly Oregon Trail. Um, anything else that you wanted to kind of cover? It, it it's going it's going okay um and so what i've been doing for the last couple of weeks is just kind of working on the assembly language subroutines which i have to um reverse engineer because you remember that um although i said that the um uh, apple version of oregon trail is a mix of, of of basic and assembly it and the basic listings are out there i can i've downloaded them and printed them out and i use them as the basis of the basic um, program for the Cocoa as well, but the assembly language subroutines, I I don't know how to get to those, and even if I saw them, I don't know that I would know how to do anything with them in Apple Assembly. Mm-hmm. So I've been just reverse engineering it by watching on the emulator and then determining kind of what's happening. So um, I've actually got it playing behind me, if you guys can kind of see it, and what I've managed to figure out how to do is... Um, most of the major portions of just sort of the travel screen. So I have the uh, wagon, and it um, is animated, and I've, it, it actually has three different um, pictures of it of the wheels turning. So it, it it cycles through three of those, and then there's the graphic of the of the um, wagon when it crashes. You know, it loses its front its front its front wheels, and then there's the one where it catches on fire. So I have all of those in there. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, I haven't actually been working on it for a while, but a couple of weeks ago, I managed to figure out how to do the scrolling of the landmarks, which you can see behind me. There's the castle, mm-hmm. I don't know what it, chimney rock one, um, by half bits. And so I got some um, help from uh, Simon. I got some suggestions and input from some folks, and so I was able to figure out how to make it uh, move across the screen in, in in four-bit increments instead of one-byte increments, and so it moves a little bit, moves a little bit smoother, and is probably closer to the way that the Apple works. I still have to um, modify the sub the subassembly routine that does the wag, and I'm going to use that to also put the various sprites that that can occur. Like if you run into a winter um, like blizzard, then it pops up a snow cloud so i have to figure out you know i have to make it put those where i want them to put it as well and um that's about where i'm at right now i'll tell you guys where i'm stuck and maybe you guys have some suggestions the way that the apple version works is it's got the main program if you think of it like the hub program of of oregon trail and then as you encounter different things, like you come to the river and you, and you need to cross, or you decide to go hunting or whatever, it actually appends a whole nother um, set of code at the end. So it always starts at, I don't know, line 40,000 or something. And whenever you come to that event, what it does is it loads that 
that code in and basically overwrites from line 40,000 all the way to whatever. And um, of course, in the Coco, when you append something, you can do the append comma R, but it will rerun the entire program starting at the very beginning. Um, and um, I haven't quite figured out a way to mimic that capability that the Apple has. And it, it may be that the Apple also doesn't do that natively, and they figured out some creative way to do it using assembly language or something. I did go back and look at some of the um, Delph, the Delphi, 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 how do Delphi? You say Delphi, 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 Delphi um, <laughs> archives, and found that there was a discussion that had happened, you know, 100 years ago when someone else was thinking about trying to append. And, and the suggestion that I thought was clever, I haven't tried it yet, was when you append from line 40,000 on, you append a line one or line zero that says go to line 40,000. And so when you rerun it, you've actually added a line at the very beginning of your code that jumps to where you want to do it. So I think that could work, but I haven't quite got my brain wrapped around how to keep that from messing the whole thing up when I needed to just run normally or whatever. Um, one of the tricks I would probably think about is, um, because some people have been like taking basic programs that are tokenized and putting them into ROM cartridges. Um, like for instance, with your program, find out where the, the line 40,000 starts in, in RAM. Yeah. And then do like a C or a save them. And then just basically just use the load them command and load in the machine language stuff at that point. Of course, you'd have to, you know, because then you're just replacing the basic tokens in memory as it's still active. Uh, okay. I follow it's, the logic It's kind of hackish, but that's probably what they did on the Apple. Maybe. Maybe. The, the, the basic assembly, or the basic listing, excuse me, for the Apple one is, it's, lots of it is very clear and easy to follow, and then some of it is, I, I don't, like I went and got some, you know, looked at some Apple Basic books. I can't tell what those commands are. I, I don't know if they're real commands or if they have something or they've actually created some specialized commands that they're executing in Basic. I'm not sure. But that's a good um, idea. I'll think about how to do that. The Apple Basic can't really be patched like the Cocoa 3 can, but um, the DOS basically interrupts the input vector and vectors it through DOS and then back to Basic. So theoretically, you could, like, add a DOS command that would do something. But they would have to do something to patch the DOS to make that happen. Okay. Okay. Do you, so you, you remember think... what kind of commands you're talking about there? Like, are they calls or shape no, tables? No, or... it's, it's not a call. It's, um, like, one of them actually says, like, APD or APND, which I assumed was the subroutine that was appending the files. But... Um, yeah, it doesn't see sound if I can like find it. Yeah, I don't think that's standard basic. Not that yeah, it, it, mind you, my Apple II is pretty rusty. It didn't look like standard basic to me, but I could be wrong. So they could be doing what Marcus said, like ADOS and a few other things did that too, where they append new commands to the basic command table by intercepting mm -hmm. all the hooks, and you, you go to your stuff first, then you drop back to basic. If it doesn't exist in your code, then it goes and finds the command, you know, disk yeah. basic, then extended basic, then color basic. Right. Right. Also, so, so that's where I'm stuck right now is trying to figure out how to make, I mean, because it's, 
it's a much bigger program than will fit in memory. And I had toyed with the idea of just having it only work on the Cocoa 3 where I might be able to, you know, utilize some of the extra memory by um, bank switching or something. But I really wanted it to work on a Cocoa 1 and 2 since I'm sort of writing it for that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am right now. I can't. So, for example, they I have a couple. A private message, uh, Paul, about chaining chaining AppleSoft uh, programs. Okay. Uh, and I'll post it also here for everybody else. I appreciate it. So they have a command called box. And, and, and before these, what I believe are not actual Apple um, basic commands, there's a little ampersand sign. What does the ampersand sign do? Ah, yes, the ampersand. That is a hook that can vector to a machine language routine. So they're ah. loading some sort of machine language helper, and then they put the ampersand, they put command before or after it, I guess. And okay. so what happens when it vectors there, then it figures out what line it was on and reads the parameters to do stuff. Okay. It's a machine language hook other than using like a call or USR. Okay, because there's some calls in here too. So they're doing a little bit of both, it sounds like. A lot of times the calls are directly into the ROM for things like uh, clearing the screen or mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe uh, graphic initialization. A lot of times instead of writing their own code for like clearing the high res screen or whatever. Like, you know, oh, 62454, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I went and found this, if you nice. guys can see it. Beagle Brothers. Yep. Yeah, the Beagle Brothers stuff that has a ton of, of calls and commands for, for the Apple to help me to try to decipher what, what's going on in, in some of this code. But um, the ampersand being a hook to a machine language co- uh, or assembly language subroutine, that makes that makes good sense to me. So, Is that kind of like our USR statement there, Mark? Uh, yes. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, it'd be like USR. Uh, USR, though, is like a user function. Uh, it's, I think, actually a little bit more primitive because you have to set it up yourself. It's not like it has basic commands to set it up for you. Um, yeah, well, yeah. USR, you can you can tell it to pass parameters to it and receive parameters back. That's one nice right. thing you can, if you set Yeah, but it's, it's, it's nice, nice that it's all done basic. Yeah, the ampersand one is much more primitive because your routine basically has to, you have to have a handler that it vectors to and then figures out where the parameters are by figuring out what line you are on. So it can then read the parameters and then do what it needs to. So it's a little bit more uh, uh, primitive. Well, what they've written here is really is really amazing and the and the creativity that they have to work around the the memory li- limitations to load what they need as they need it and to o- and load it right over the code seamlessly where you can't even I mean you don't it doesn't there's no insert the next disk or any of the rest of that stuff it's 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 really yeah it's, it's kind of like load your own subroutine every time you need one yeah 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 and so it's it's pretty cool but um that's that's kind of where I'm I'm stuck right yeah, now. I could tell you how to do that in basic nine, but in standard basic, I have no idea. <laughs> well, thanks anyways. You know, I also saw um, looking at some of the Delphi archives is that somebody had suggested that there was a way you could use pokes and peaks that um, figure out kind of where the, um, it may be a very similar situ- um, approach, but not using uh, tokenized loadems, but you could do a peak of some value that would tell you sort of where your program started and stopped and then yeah. you could poke in a different value load what you needed to do and then restore the what you had peaked before and somehow that magically works as well but that um that's something i haven't quite figured out yet either well, paul yeah, i remember if you do a peak 25 and 26 i think that's the start address of your basic program if i remember yeah that's it so the the solution is in all of that someplace i just have to 
I just have to figure that out. Once I figured that piece out, it's um, it's going to be just porting the code from that point on. I think those are the the major sort of roadblocks that I'm running into at this point. Well, a couple of things. Uh, uh, we have the Oregon Trail channel on Discord and, and some very smart people who, uh, you know, if you think of it in, in your, you know, you're, I believe you're on the Discord server. Um, yeah. You could post some of these on the on the channel. I will. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the only project I'm working on right now. I have um, I've, I've started thinking about kind of my next project, which is what I do. I get partially into one, and then I start working on something else. And maybe I'll come we back call them it. distractions. Yes, yes, I have <laughs> tons of distractions. Have you guys? Do you guys remember a submarine game that I think was written primarily in BASIC, and I played played it first on PC DOS or MS DOS called Gato. Mm mm. It was. Yes, I do, Mark. I do. Yeah, it was a ton of fun, and I remember playing a lot of that game. And so I thought that one seems imminently portable in the uh, in the realm of stuff that I'm capable of doing uh, uh, basic with uh, assembly language subroutines. So I think I think I've got uh, I've got an earmark on my next project after this one will get done. But I, I'm going to finish this one, but it's it's probably three months away. I see Mark's holding up. You'll have to zoom up on him there to show that cover. I have yep. an original I acquired from somebody and the disc sand manual. That's it. It's a really fun submarine game. And I remember I played it as a kid, and a lot of the naval simulators that um, were just too hard for me to figure out, and it was hard to keep my interest because they were too hard to figure out, that one had a nice mix of not so difficult to play, but some strategic elements to it. So, yeah, sub battle simulator. I mean, it's called a simulator for a reason. Yeah. It's pretty complex. Yeah, yeah. You you either really like simulators or you don't. And I think I kind of really don't like them. So this one, yeah. this one, that one might be my next project. And then the other day, I bought from John uh, Linville, and I haven't I put it together, but I haven't used it yet. Is his Game Master cartridge? So um, he was kind enough to um, sell me a kit. Which is really cool because I like putting these stuff, these things together. So cool. I have um, put it together over the weekend, not over the weekend, a couple of days ago, and then I will see how if I can get some some audio out of this one too. Cool. Yeah, it's a neat, it's a neat little piece of hardware. Yeah, more support for all the sound options, the better. It's uh, we're starting to get some. We've seen a few few games. You've mentioned yours, and we've seen uh, who's doing the game on Discord that. Uh, Steve Anscombe, is that his name? Doing the, I can't pronounce it. Cersei's Island? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. he's doing full support for it, too. So, Yeah. Cool. That went over very well at BCF West. A lot of people were really attracted to it. If only we had a real-time clock. <laughs> uh-huh. So the if other only. thing that, uh, since we were talking about games, the GMC has the same chip that the Coleco Atom has. So, therefore, the... Uh, um, if someone wanted to take up the task of patching the module man for the Coco, um, well, there you go. You can pull you're, the... you're volunteering, right, Dave? Is that what you're saying? Nope, nope, nope. I'm oh. saying someone that actually knows how to do programming with a darn. Uh, Paul, any any updates on uh, that's a good point about the Coleco Atom sound chip being in the GMC? Um, and Paul, any update on Dungeon Crawl? Do we have a um, do you have a Christmas pack for the holidays if we want 
a physical dungeon crawl uh, disc. No, um, a dungeon crawl. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting topic. I, I I'm not selling dungeon crawl any longer. Um, and and the Aww. reason uh, it's a bummer. I'm I'm really bummed about it. I actually had created a bunch more packets ready to go. I've I've actually been working on it, or I had been working on it a little bit more, adding some additional features like the ability to load a character, not just use one primary or create a new one, and a couple of other features as well. <clears throat> but I'm not mm-hmm. um, not I'm not able to sell it any longer. I'm not able to offer it any longer. And the the reason for that is when I created the game and the you know it's based on Telengard. I mean it is basically Telengard reskinned for the most part. The the graphics that I used for the the actual um, 2D top down dungeon, I I found a tile set on I don't remember where I found it from. Some I was just searching mm-hmm. one night. I found a photo or a screenshot of a tile set that was um, a mock up and so I copied that screenshot and then I basically designed my graphics that I use, the tile set that I use. I used about, I would say, about half of the tile sets that I use in that game are from that screenshot. And it turns out that the screen, that the, um, that the screenshot that I took was, um, a, was a screenshot taken from a, a, a quite talented graphics artist who goes by the name of Pixel Cast or Cast Pixel, excuse me, Cast Pixel, and she contacted me and was like, "Hey, you're using my stuff," and I I didn't realize it. I didn't um, intend to use her stuff, but we agreed that yeah, I didn't I didn't ask her. I didn't license it. I certainly didn't um, let her know. And so what we ended up doing is I agreed that I wouldn't I wouldn't offer it any longer. And um, the amount of money that I did earn from selling copies, I ended up splitting it with her and sending her half of that. Hmm. So it was the it was a bit of a bummer. But it was totally my fault. I mean I should have I should have tracked I should have tracked her down. Um, and it wasn't too hard to to connect her to that once I went out and started looking after she sent me the email. And uh, so I mean she was right in being upset about it and I I tried to make it right as much as I could by um, by letting her know that you know by sharing half of the profits with it. It's not like, I mean, it was a couple hundred bucks. It wasn't that much, right? But it was uh, still the principle of it, I think, for her, and so that's why I've stopped. Well, is there any chance of of having somebody else in the Coca community designing new graphics for it that you could start selling it again once it's original, quote unquote? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if that, I mean, the only sort of sticking point was was the fact that it was based heavily off of a tile set that she created. And evidently she does this sort of freelance work and she created it for somebody and then they didn't end up using it or needing it. So it's not like it's not like it's there's another game out there that looks just like that. It's just got this this one mock up screen that she has that that she created at the behest of somebody else and so it was it was a little bit of I created this and then I created this for somebody else who just hasn't done anything with it, but it's still theirs. Now you fine. you could um, maybe load it into a tile editor and change and change that. Is it just the tiles? It's just the tiles. Yeah. 
Seems like that. Or just give specs, like on Discord or Facebook, just put, you know, the size of the tiles is so many pixels by so many pixels. And if you somebody could redesign and then list what tiles you need, like a straight floor, floor with a wall on the north side or, or whatever, you know, tiles you specifically need. Yeah. And then just, you know, ask one of our more artistic community members here to come up because we've got some pretty good graphics arts. I've got some pretty good icons on a Nick and Rob already for the next DLU release. Yeah. Um, so we do have some people here that know what they're doing on that type of stuff. So maybe we can get a re-release with uh, fixed up graphics. Yeah. That's a good idea. And there's a free tile editor call that actually Chet Simpson uses. Um, but I had learned about it before before I knew Chet was using it. It's called Map. Uh, well, it's at mapeditor.org, and I'll post it in the in the chat. Um, and perhaps uh, if you did release the specs for the for the tiles, we could play around with um, you know creating new ones for you. Cool. I will I will give that a ton of consideration because I would like the the game to be out there and, and, and playable again. And as I said, I have yep. been actually tweaking and improving it in some areas. So it'd be great to be able to keep, keep putting it out there. It, it's too bad. She didn't, she doesn't sound like she was amenable to you doing a splitting the profit in the future thing. It sounded like this was just to fix the correct, the wrong in the past. It, it, but then she know, doesn't I, want you to sell it anymore past that with her graphics. I, I didn't ask her about that specifically. And, 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 and mostly, I mean, I think the way that the way that it ended was, was good and I didn't want to uh, I had thought push about that yeah I didn't want to push my luck right I didn't want it to turn into something uh, bigger than it was already okay so. okay so that was a that was a bit of drama that uh, that went on and it was <laughs> unintentional know, drama unintentional drama and it was it's been a couple three months but if anybody has been paying attention you know the sites where it was posted or it's, I asked them to take it down and all the rest of that and I had even thought about the possibility of just, you know, if it was um, a concern around um, me making money off something that she created, I had thought about the possibility of just offering it for free. And then I thought, well, you know, there's a bunch of people who actually bought it. I don't know that they would want to suddenly know that anybody else could have gotten it for free. Yeah, so and I, she might have, you know, because it's her work anyway, she might figure she still needs to get paid, but she just means you'd be going into the negative. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I sort of went to the negative anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like I made a lot of money on that. And as I was creating the, you know, I I sold it for what I what it cost me to put the packages together, and you know, all the floppy disks and everything. I I wasn't making any money. I was basically almost breaking even on it anyway. So, but it's all good. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Sounds like you handled it well, and um, and maybe there's a future contest. For the community to participate. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, we definitely have some good graphics artists in the community. I mean, we've seen some of the tiles that were done for Chet's Digger 3 game and stuff, too. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks for the update, Paul. We're, we're very excited uh, to uh, hear what comes next. And um, if there's any other uh, graphic artists that you plan to rip off, Please let us know and announce it. <laughs> no, you have to be sneaky about that stuff. I wasn't near sneaky enough. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you right now, I will give you permission to use the trash can icon that Nick said. That's right. Uh, I for Isaac so. Thank hey, you. hang on. I'm still waiting for payment on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and anyone here is welcome to uh, port Gunstar to OS9. Um, 
just cut uh, that. I, I, I've had it done for months. I'm just waiting for Nick to release his. Jeez. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do we want to maybe take one uh, break? or we, we actually could do the outro and come back for final thoughts. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Is there, is there, is there anybody a, else has anything else they want to mention? Is there a guidance for this to, for today? A what? A guidance. Oh, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think there's a brand new Gimes, and, and Ken, if you're out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but why don't we play a Gimes that I like, um, <laughs> and um, then we'll go, we'll go right into the outro, come back for final thoughts. So uh, everyone, uh, be on your best behavior during the break, because I think audio is going through. Here we go. Coco Thoughts, lucky number 13. And now... Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Many people think 13 is an unlucky number, but I'm not superstitious. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. And we're back. Uh, let's thank some of the people in the live chat. Matchy just joined us or, or has been out there. Um, how you doing? Uh, Ken Reichert says, Kyle editor for your operating system of choice. Nick Morota is uh, out there in the chat. Curtis Boyle, Steve Strobridge, 
Mark D. Overholzer, Paul Fiscarelli, telling us where we can find the Intellivision ports, and uh, so many more. Uh, the list goes on and on. Any last words before we go? I'll open well, up the floor. You're looking a little pale there, Rob. Yeah, can anyone tell me if I'm in black and white or not? <laughs> yes, you're black and white, sir. You're very, you're very 1940s. Unliving black and white. Uh, what I'd really like is a P-Mode 4 with, uh, with two artifact colors. I think that would be appropriate. Yeah, I, I call it grayscale or Rob Noir. Yes, yes I'm, uh, I'm artifact colors on a dragon right now. Monomatic. That's right. The best part of the show, says Grant Lee, uh, is the end. I think uh, who couldn't agree with that? Um, it's been a wonderful uh, two and a half hours. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Take us out, David Ladd. All right, everyone. It's been exciting to have you with us. Let's all get ready for the weekend. Thank you to Good David night. Ladd. Thank you to Al Hartman, Nick Morente, Steve. Once more with feeling now, David. Steve B. York, Coco Man, Jason Reichard. We've got Paul Shoemaker in his Oregon Trail. Uh, Mark B. out there. Um, Ron Delvaux. Brian the Music Man, Shoebring, L. Curtis Boyle, and Last but certainly not least, Mark D. Overholzer. And uh, I will... Somebody say last word. Push the button, Frank. Thank you. We're pushing.